Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You know, pretty obvious set of circumstances here. You know, the guys that started the game, you know, learned some valuable things tonight about being ready to play right off the bat uh, against a team that's very physical, um, innately very hungry, and very experienced. Even their young guys, have they've been through enough, so they know what being a veteran and being kind of playoff-hardened is all about. Oh, what's going on, everybody? I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Um, so Rick Carlisle, again, doing these press conferences, Jimmy, where, um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I would feel like if I'm him, I'd be like, look, you guys know what's going on. We're, uh, we're moving up the tank standings over here. <laughs> so we we want to see the young guys compete hard and we want to lose. You know, you can't just put it right out there. You might get fined by the NBA. You got to be discreet, but he's got to feel I would, at least in that situation, day after day, like, oh, my gosh, here we go again with another press conference and me dancing around what everybody knows is obvious right here. It's got to be a weird situation for him, I would think. I like to imagine that Rick Carlisle relishes in these press conferences, maybe like with the assistant coaches, like, hey, hey, look, I'm going to drop on them today. He enjoys the dance, the elegant art that is tiptoeing around (laughs) what we all want to see happen, which is exactly what happened last night. Experience for the young guys. Yeah, they're working hard. You know, we we gave gave them a tough battle throughout Mm -hmm. that one, right? Just just little little nuggets like that. And I I like to imagine he's not stressed by it. He he enjoys it. He enjoys the, the frustration that is able to be taken from one of these transcripts or one of these audio clips from these postgame pressers yeah yeah so two games left last night against the Knicks lose by nine 138 to 129 good lord I hope you hit the over on that one Jimmy like I don't remember if that was one of your picks you're more of a sides guy not too much on totals right yeah particularly with the NBA and I, I we've had a couple of guests on the last couple of days that have stressed about betting the NBA and why it's so tough during the regular season, particularly towards the back end, because you just don't know unless there's clear stakes what you're going to get. The Knicks had stakes. The Pacers are, are trying to <laughs> to put a stake in their season and be done with everything to this point. So it's just it's hard. It's hard to bet totals. If you are betting Pacer games, though, I don't have the data in front of me, nor does Eddie, but I would think the over would be a pretty consistent number this year. Yeah, at least as of late, especially. It's weird with the NBA where it happens consistently where if one of the main players is out, that it still goes over. It's not always the case. Uh, like last night, Giannis was out, and the Bucks bulls game was a lower-scoring game. It doesn't happen all the time, but there are times where you're like, man, this the big guns are out. No Halliburton, no Miles Turner. Like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Look at the Knicks. Knicks didn't have Brunson. They didn't have R.J. Barrett, and it's a score fest. It's crazy like that sometimes in the NBA. Look at the Blazers. They've got Shaden Sharp and dudes you've never heard of, and they've scored more than I thought they would the last couple of games, so it's hard to predict sometimes. Are you aware of something so tantalizing and so pressing for the Pacers 
tankathon chances that are uh, currently at stake tonight. I just realized this. I glossed over it when oh. I was looking at current opponents that were on track for one Portland Trailblazers. It's a lose-off. It's a, it's a it tank-off tonight. It's Portland and San Antonio both have reasons to want to lose their games. For Portland, it is to stay in that five spot. For San Antonio, it's still in a race with Houston, a half a game difference there for the second best shot at the number one overall pick. It, it, we, have, we have a tank off tonight, Brian. There is. There is a tank off, and this is a big deal uh, for the overall tank standings here because Portland, if they just messed around and won, let's just say they did it, they would have the same exact record as the Pacers. So they would join what would be a three-way tie. Right now, it's a two-way tie. It's the Wizards and the Pacers. They've got the same record. If Portland screws around and wins on the road at San Antonio tonight, the Blazers would have the same exact record as the Wizards and the Pacers. Go Blazers! You know, just hot knife through butter against the Spurs tonight would be good for the Pacers. I just want those Portland young fans to enjoy a win. Okay, that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for today's youth in Portland. I love, my buddy sent me this, the uh, Blazers injury report. They have the reasons for these players being out. And some of them are normal, like Damian Lillard calf tightness. You get some of these ankle sprain, knee soreness, foot soreness, ankle surgery, fifth finger fracture, quad contusion. Then we get to the good stuff. So Cam Reddish, she's got lumbar soreness. (laughs) Shaden Sharp, he's questionable with knee tendinopathy there's that and then there's uh there's drew eubanks he's got thoracic spasms is what's going on jurassic spasms is that is that thor like thor (laughs) (laughs) the uh yeah like the uh the movie guy the movie character thor yes yes thoracic spasm is what it says on the injury report there that's what we're looking at. So. Um, inversely here, Brian, when you look at the Spurs game tonight against Portland, you're rooting for the Trailblazers to win, but simultaneously, if the Spurs and Rockets tie and the Spurs get the coin flip, that second-round pick that Indiana has from Houston doesn't come to Indianapolis anymore because it has to fall within the first two rounds of the second round. Hmm. And when you think about from last year, you look at Andrew Nimhart. He was a, he's been a terrific role player for this Indiana Pacer team this year. He was the first pick in the second round of season ago, a draft ago, and a lot of teams covet one of those top two picks in the second round because sometimes there's a first round talent that falls into the second round. And right now, if the Spurs lose, and then when it comes to the coin flip, if it doesn't fall the Rockets' way, then the Pacers don't get that second round pick. I'm Team Ping. I say go Blazers. <laughs> I understand everything you just explained there, Eddie, but. You know as well as I do, most second-round picks don't pan out. So if I can get more ping-pong balls and the chance to just win the lottery, yeah, I'm team ping on this one. That's a nice fallback of like, oh, shoot, you know, the Blazers lost. That doesn't help us in the team ping chase here (laughs) as far as the Pacers go. That's a nice fallback with the extra second-round pick if that's the way it unfolds. But I'm Team Ping here. Jimmy, you? You still Team Look, Ping? So, so, so again, to, to say pretty much the same thing that you did, I, I, I appreciate the nuggets from Eddie, and that's something where I'm probably going to value that in three weeks' time when the standings are, are finally complete and we get really close to the lottery. I can't remember the exact date. It's usually like the back end of May is usually when the draft lottery happens. So 
after that and the chips fall where they are, then I'll probably be pretty concerned and worried about, okay, what's the rest of the draft room war chest sit at? But for right now, go Blazers. Uh, this is team ping or die. This is what we're going with right now. Yeah, and that's the thing is we all know if you hit on one of these top draft picks and it can alter your franchise's course, we all know what that means. Yes. And, of course, in this draft with Wembenyama, who looks to be an absolute stud in the making, he's got to put on some weight. Maybe you should get on the weight gainer plan with Bryce Young over there. I don't know. <laughs> Alabama quarterback and Wembenyama from France, they need to do, what is it, CB1 weight gainer? What, we need maybe to get him on trade, that. Maybe he can give Bryce some of his uh, his height in, in, in a trade-off, and then they can both go in it together and just all there he needs the weight. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm trying to think of someone that was a little rotund back in the day, like uh, Oliver Miller. Remember, Ollie had a few LBs. Uh, we need to get, uh, yeah, Wimbenyama, give Bryce Young a little bit of the height, and then one of these guys like Oliver Miller or Charles Barkley was known as the round mound of rebound. You know, we need to borrow a little bit of lard, you know, for both of them, <laughs> something like that. But But I thought about this, too. You look at the Memphis Grizzlies. So they've won 50 games for the second straight year, and it's only the second time in franchise history they've done that, where they've had consecutive 50-win seasons. And primarily the reason for that is John ja Morant hitting on that guy with the number two overall pick. So we all know this in Pacers land. If you can get one of those top picks and you hit on a stud, that is franchise-altering stuff. Yeah, you might get a second-round pick that, I mean – pie in the sky he's a franchise type player but more times than not best case scenario is he's a solid role player contributor that's not a franchise altering type guy mostly yeah that's where I'm in the business right now and I know you are as well is and this has been the drum that's kind of been hammered home throughout the last couple of seasons for the Pacers as you look at other small market teams and again, there's a lot of luck involved, but there's also a ton of scouting that goes into it and just situational awareness within these drafts. You have to absolutely hit your first round selection out of the park. And in theory, the higher up the board you are, the better chance you have to hit it out of the park, the better chance you have to get the player of your choosing. Therefore, team ping. Let's go Blazers. Let's go. Uh, we got to get to the Masters here momentarily, but sticking with the Pacers in a slightly different direction. Did you catch the new fl- freestyle rap from one Damian Lillard there, Jimmy Cook? Did no, you? I did not. I missed yeah. that from Dollar Dame. That's, that's my bad. What we got? Well, it's bad on you. It's Dame, Dame Dollar. Dollar. I did. I did. Oh, that's bad too. That's, <laughs> that's rough on both counts. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go sit in the side studio, with you and Eddie, for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> no problem. I really no am ashamed of myself because I knew that, and that's just that's just bad. That's bad. <laughs> well, well, he gave. There was. I bring this up because he mentions Reggie Miller. In one of in his verse. lines here. Ooh, okay. Yeah, one of his verses is about Reggie Miller. And so the line is this. I'll play it for you in a second. But, I mean, kind of like heavy metal lyrics. You know, sometimes this stuff is going so fast you might not quite understand it, right? So he's talking about this. He's talking about ring chasing, okay? So there's a whole lot of people that are saying, Dame, why are you staying with the Portland Trailblazers? Why don't you go to a real contender, join the Lakers? So the line is... Plotting on a ring, they say I should do the Lakers. F that royal stuff. What if Reggie just left the Pacers? So that's the line. So you bars, can hear it right here. Bars. bars. Bars from Dame Dollar. Here it is. Plotting on the ring. They say I should do the Lakers. That royal What if Reggie just left the Pacers? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's the line right there. And it brings up an interesting conversation because first and foremost – 
I think that you need to respect whatever the intentions are of the player first. Like, for instance, I would love to see Dame win a ring. He's been an outstanding player in the NBA, and he's rotted mostly in his NBA career with stinky supporting casts in Portland. At least that's been the case the last couple of years. So I would love to see him get a ring. If that means going elsewhere, I would love to see that. But that not might not be what he wants. You know, so I think you you can't twist that where what you want might be different than what the player wants. I don't think you can lose sight of that. But if you play this game here, it's interesting to me. If you look at Reggie Miller, if you look at Dirk Nowitzki, and you look at Kevin Garnett, there are three different paths over here, okay? So there is the best-case scenario. Dame is trying to do the Dirk Nowitzki thing. He wants to stay put with one organization, ultimately win a ring. That's the best-case scenario. Then it could be like Reggie Miller. Stayed put his entire career, didn't win a ring. Then there's door number three, which is the Kevin Garnett way of doing it. Stayed with the Minnesota Timberwolves for a long, long time. Didn't get a ring, went to Boston, got the ring, still loved in both places. So that's option number three. I guess option number four would be, say, Carl Malone. That'd be a good one. Carl Malone left Utah, went to the Lakers, didn't win a ring, and isn't known as Mr. Utah Jazz, right? So I guess we have four options right here for Dame as we look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Because the other examples that you give, take Carl Malone out of it, and I guess maybe take KG out of it because I was a little little too young to see like what all like the the peak of Minnesota I was still in in my in my very young NBA fanhood at that point in time I really remember KG more for his time in Boston and anything is possible like I remember that more than anything <laughs> at least you at least you weren't in diapers yeah, yeah, no, that's no, no, what like, I was like, worried like, about no no no, no, no. I was not in yeah. diapers I okay. just I was you know probably five six seven eight okay, like you know right. just just uh, still very much <laughs> in my uh infancy of consumption of sports right so I I don't have as fond memories of of like uh, of the peak of the Minnesota time but more often than not, at least what I've seen with Dame's case is, to your point, Brian, he has not had the supporting cast. He's not had the help that even Reggie had, that even Dirk. I know Dirk kind of carried himself, but he had key role players in that run, like Tyson Chandler, like the Jet, like just just overall he had better weapons around him than Dame's ever had to the point that like, I admire the loyalty I do, but the he's loyal to a fault almost at this point. And it's maddeningly frustrating. Yeah, no, that's where I am too. I think that he is, and I hate to make it a negative, but in terms of pursuing a ring, if that's the thing, he is loyal to a fault. Now Dame has talked about it's beyond that, right? Like loyalty means a lot to him. That's, I respect that. Yeah, I respect that too. But I just don't want it to get in the way of him getting the props he does deserve for being a truly special player. And we saw a little bit of that with Reggie Miller. But think about this too. Reggie made it to the finals. Reggie was in some knockdown, dragout dog yes. fights against Michael Jordan. Like, mm-hmm. there's no shame in losing to Michael Jordan. Think how many legacies that Jordan limited, right? Where it's Reggie Miller, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Charles Barkley. Like, the list goes on and on and on. And that hasn't been the case with Dame. I know the Warriors did their thing around that time. 
That was the one time the Warriors, I'm sorry, the Blazers got to the Western Conference Finals was against the Warriors. But the point is, he hasn't gotten as far as Reggie has no. in an era where Michael Jordan's teams were dominant. Like that that's that's telling right there. It's not the same thing as Reggie in Indiana. And and you feel bad just to bring the Pacers back into focus for a second. You feel bad for the Pacers especially because there's two generation of Pacers fans that got stiff armed twice. They got stiff armed by Michael Jordan and then the next best Pacers team they had, they got stiff armed by LeBron. Like so it, it, there, there's a lot of of frustration rightfully so within the Pacers fan base, at least from a historical context of, man, we had some great teams, but there was a better superstar or a better just insanely talented trio of players or duo of players that kept us out of where we want to go. Like you you talk about legacies that were hampered or let back. MJ definitely did it to more people, but the Pacers were impacted by both bookends of LeBron James and Michael Jordan the last 30 years. Yeah, and think about this too. If we focus on... Reggie, right? And bring it back to Dame. But if you focus on Reggie and if his career had played out differently, how would Pacers fans feel about him? How would it change? Let's say Reggie went elsewhere and won a ring like Kevin Garnett did when he left Minnesota and went to Boston. How would Pacers fans feel about Reggie? I don't think they would be upset. I I think most of them wouldn't be. I think for the most part, you would wish him well. It wouldn't be the same feeling, I don't think, as Reggie grinding out his entire career with Indiana. But I think the reasonable fans, if Reggie went elsewhere, had a great opportunity, made the most of it, won a ring, I don't think they would hate the guy. Now, if he did the Carl Malone thing, he went and ring-chased, quote-unquote, and didn't win a ring, I think that lands differently. So I I'm just I bring that up because if Dame did go elsewhere, those are a couple of the options of the way it would play out. He would either win a ring elsewhere like KG or he wouldn't win a ring elsewhere like Carl Malone and Portland. That would impact how he was viewed and how people felt about him to a degree. Well, he did have the opportunity to, right? The, the rumor is, and it's been confirmed by everybody within the Celtics organization at the time and by Reggie, he was very close in 2007, 2008, that offseason prior to them winning the championship to joining the Celtics. Danny Ainge called him, offered him a spot on the roster. Reggie's quote, look, I knew they were stacked to win a championship and they did, but it just wouldn't have seemed right to be popping champagne in Boston when in Indiana we grew up together, we laughed together, we cried so many tears together because we were so close for so many years. How could I be sitting and cheering and laughing because I won my championship when all I ever wanted to do was win in Indiana? So that I mean, that's just, uh, Reggie was just like that in terms of you feel loyalty to a franchise. I just feel like there was more give from Indiana, and there's been different circumstances too with Dame and the path of gauntlet that is the West, but I felt like there were more done by the Pacers organization at that time around Reggie than there maybe ever has been with Dame. That's really interesting too. It would be so fascinating to talk to Reggie about the way his career played out. Does he have any regrets? Even if he does, would he admit it? (laughs) You know, like about staying with one franchise the whole time? And how it relates to Dame. How does he view Damian Lillard doing something very similar to him? He just shouted him out in his, yeah. in his new uh, freestyle rap, right? <laughs> like he's got Reggie and the way he went about it on his mind. So, And he also has Dirk on his mind. So I find that to be pretty interesting right there. Do you see a scenario where the Trailblazers move him? 
Oh, absolutely. Well, that's the thing, Because it might though, be right? out of his control, right? Yeah. Like, maybe he ends up on a team that is a, a, a contender or close to being a contender, and they deal him this offseason, and now he's in a situation to win a ring. Yeah, well, hey, man, um, the clock is ticking on every player. Yes. And he's getting up there. Yeah, and we've seen a little bit, a little bit, not the same situation, but in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Sure. Aaron Rodgers is a four-time MVP. Aaron Rodgers has won a Super Bowl. And Aaron Rodgers will be traded any day now. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it, it's the way it goes. Joe Montana with the 49ers. Like, the list goes on and on. So, yeah, I mean, that might be better for Dame if he is moved and he's not, you know, two thumbs up, let's do this, and it's his decision, he's pushing for it. That might end up being a blessing in disguise. But, man, you think about that, too. How do you do that if you're the Blazers? You're this smaller market uh, franchise, certainly not a free agent destination. Who wants to go, like, be in the rain and the cold aside from, like, three months a year? Like, it's not a sexy place to go at all. And yet this dude has been a freaking blessing the basketball gods have gifted you with Dame. And then after all this loyalty, you're going to move them for some draft picks, and, right? Like, so loyalty is a two-way street. I don't know how the Blazers are going to play this thing on out. Yeah, I I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see where they're going to go. Uh, for me, if I'm Portland, I mean, you're not like Dame can say all he wants, the loyalty of wanting to win in Portland. They're not on a path to do that by yeah. the time his career is over, at least in my mind. Like barring a barring a like maybe maybe I'll take it back one step. Maybe they hit the lottery. Maybe when Benyama is going to Portland, and maybe he is as good as advertised from Jump Street from day one. If that happens, then maybe that shifts the conversation a little bit. If Dame's still there, but otherwise, barring that, I don't see a timeline where they're winning. With him right now, I would move him if I'm Pearl. Well, how about this? Let's do our rankings here, okay, of how things could play out for Dame. Like, what what you think would be the best? Now, he his list might differ, but us looking at it from afar, what would be best? So, best case scenario would be stay with the Blazers, win a ring like Dirk Nowitzki. Yep. Okay, that would be the best case scenario. Now we've got three options. We've got to rank these next three. Option two would be the Reggie Miller path. Stay with the Blazers the whole time. Don't win a ring, okay? Or the KG path. You move teams and you win a ring. The Carl Malone path, you switch teams, don't win a ring. So the bottom path is Carl Malone. If you're going to switch teams, you got to cash in because yeah. it's not going to fall well. So it turns into, is it Reggie, stick with one team, don't win a ring, or is it KG, move and win a ring? I think KG is the next best option right there but I don't know that that Dame looks at it that way he might look at it where the Reggie path is the number two option and KG is number three right like I really think that's how he views it right now what I would hope happens is for lack of a better phrase the Blazers are saving Dame from himself and what I mean by that is they tell Dame hey look we are dealing you we appreciate all you've done but we are ready to move on. We would like to take some of your choice into consideration. Where, where would you ideally like to go? <laughs> and then he's kind of in control of his own destiny. Uh, a la, like in terms of getting to pick where he goes, he's getting a, a hybrid of Kevin Garnett, right? He's, he's, he's having the opportunity to go exactly where he would like to go in theory. And hopefully it's to a contender, but uh, here's what I'm worried about, Brian. And, and I know this doesn't really concern 
Indiana as much as it does the broader scale of the NBA, but it's a point that is relevant anyway. Mm-hmm. I have always been enamored by Damian Lillard. The first favorite player I ever had uh, was was another dominant guard in Allen Iverson. He was, he was my first favorite basketball player growing up. And I still remember AI. And a lot of people remember AI. The crossover against Jordan, uh, the step over against Ty Lue. Like there's moments that you remember from his career. Dame has a couple of those. The walk off uh, against the Thunder. Like, like he has a couple of those moments. I'm worried he's going to be forgotten about. Mm. I am. I'm I'm very worried he's going to be forgotten about in an era where there's been so many dominant guards over the last five or six years that he's going to be a second page thought Yeah, with where his legacy is right now. He is basically the super souped up version of Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah. Is what we're talking about. We were talking about this the last couple of days where the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, guard is freaking sensational he is a freaking baller and if he's playing on one of these contending teams he'd be getting so much shine right now he has an nba high 45 30 point games this season sga and largely unless you're a hoop said he's an afterthought and that's crazy to me so you look at dame game winning or sorry series winning shot against the houston rockets also series winning shot Against the Oklahoma City Thunder on the 37-foot th- step back. The iconic Paul George. It's a bad shot line. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. Bad shot and <laughs> waving goodbye to Westbrook and the Thunder. And Yeah, man, I just hope that doesn't get lost in the shuffle, yeah, but it could. It could with where they're trending. By the way, your boy Tiger Woods, what's going on over it's here? Not, it's not great. At the plus, Masters. Plus three right now. Plus three. Had a nice shot. Nice approach shot on eight, I believe. But uh, plus three tied for 44th right now. We are uh, we are headed down a path that won't fully undercut my enthusiasm for the Masters. But we are headed down a path that I, I was not anticipating and hoping very much against when I woke up this morning. Got any scratch on Tiger? Any uh, like- I, Look, so I'm, I am the moron, right? Like, I'll do it. I, I placed... 45-ish dollars oh, on, no. on, on, no, 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 not on Tiger. I don't Tiger. Okay. $5 okay. units across like okay. eight or nine golfers uh, to win it all. Um, I don't think any of the nine that I bet on are, <laughs> are are in the top three currently. So remains to be seen how that'll play out. But yes, Tiger did get one ceremonial five to win 455. We are very clear that I gave $5 away to DraftKings. I understand that. I, I hold it. on, hold on. You laid $5 to win four what? 55, yes. 455? Yes, correct. Correct. I did. <laughs> I did. I'm a madman. I understand. What? But, I can't compute the odds plus in my 9,000. Okay, so 90 to 1? There's a chance I misremembering the number. It was like 430, 450. I could be off, but yeah, it was plus 9,000 outright win for Tiger. Wow. So, it just spr- sprinkle on there. Sprinkle on there. I will. Hey, like, you went big. You didn't go with uh, I you know, I would rather do that. I'd rather just you almost set $5 on fire instead of if you put $5 for basically even money, if you said he would get to four birdies right. on day one, and right now he's not trending to do that at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather, does that sound weird? I'd rather lose go $5. Go home. Yeah, betting on him to Thank win yeah. than <laughs> betting on him now, to get to four I will birdies. Say, and I didn't check what happened. I, I did the other thing too, just because, again, we're getting to like, 
I don't know, it was about midnight last night. I'm like, man, I, I don't have all my master's bets in, what I want to do. And then I got lost down a rabbit hole of prop bets, and I bet him to win the first hole out of his group. He oh. got a par. I didn't check how everybody else did, so I have no idea if oh, that bet cashed man. or not, if it was a push. But I did do one of those, and you're right. I feel the same, or I feel a greater level of enthusiasm despite him being plus three on the plus 9,000 juice than I do the uh, win the hole. Plus well, 180 that I've hey, man, today. I hope you won. <laughs> Best case scenario, most likely, is a push. Yep. And there's a decent chance you lost. There's a very <laughs> fair chance that I lost. <laughs> you just need a birdie. Well, you need to avoid a birdie from one of the two other guys. But, yeah, I, I can't imagine they both bogeyed. Oh, we got a W. Let's go. No, they both oh, bogeyed. Okay, okay. The, the DraftKings says I won. They don't say push. I, it paid out because it was a dead heat. Okay, so, so, well, so, oh, so it's a well, win, that's good though. to know. It's not a pushed loss, it's a win. So there's a W for you. We're, we're one for one so far on Masters bets. Let's do it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I got to know this. So you can bet on a certain hole for the trio, yes. right? So let's say you, like you took Tiger Woods. He's going to win the hole. Yes. So as long as he finishes even? As long as he finishes dead heat, at least from what DraftKings is showing, it, it pays out a W. It says one. There's a big, the little trophy logo. One, the not trophy a and the confetti. It, yes, and the confetti yeah. is there. Yes. Oh, I'm marking it up feeling. as a win. And it says you cashed, you laid X to win X. It, it does. has all that? It does. Wow. Good to know. So <laughs> We might have to be firing here during the show. Who knows? Oh, my, my $5 bet to win four fifty five is a cash out of 12 cents, though. So that tells you <laughs> where, where DraftKings thinks the Tiger Woods bet's at right now. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You might want to save those 12 I, I cents I, the way I, it's trending right we're now. We're letting it ride. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I, I can understand that, too. All right, coming up next. Man, I love a good list. You, Jimmy, you love a good list? Always a list guy. How about an audio list? Even better. And when it's tied to the Colts, that's a win across the board right there. We'll get to that right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Wow, Eddie Garrison starting off strong right there. Uh, we got to do play-by-play for the YouTube crowd over there. It was, uh, it was Van Halen. It was Jump. It was a song sung by a real singer over there and David Lee Roth. Otherwise, it would be corporate and boring with Sammy and maybe not even a hit is how I see it. What do you think about that analysis? I, I would agree. You know, it was dangerous, dangerous That's too time. aggressive. Too aggressive. I don't, I don't like the slanders against Sammy Hagar. Slander there. <laughs> I got a tweet here now that we're talking about that right there, but um, let me see if I can find this real fast. Real quick, while you look for it, um, is it a bad sign when all of your $5 wagers for players oh, to win man. are at $1.50 or lower to cash out? Is that bad? Does that mean, does that mean things are not going great for you through your uh, – Yeah. And by you, I mean me. <laughs> it's a bad sign, but – to be fair, if you go the other way, I don't know what the leaders like. Victor Hovland is leading right now at minus four. Yeah. If you put five bucks on old Vic Hovland to win the thing, I, I don't know what it would be probably offering like you right now. Probably five twenty. Probably five right? thirty. It's so early yeah. that it's probably not that big of a difference right there. Okay, I'll take the overreaction. I'll table it, and we'll we'll see where we're at by the end yeah. of the round. Yeah. See. Yep. Power of positivity right there, Jay Cook. <laughs> I'm trying to find this tweet. It must have been in my notes from the other day. Let, let me try real quick. So it was my guy, Jeff, who tweeted me, and he's all about Van Halen. And it was just a funny exchange because you could tell this dude is invested. He is absolutely invested 
in the Van Halen over here. And uh, I wanted to get this tweet read, but I, I don't know if I can. I, you know what I should do? Instead of going through my notes, I should just go through my tweets. Probably good, too. Gosh, if I'm you're taking the-, the time to look for it, it must be a David Lee Roth positive tweet, correct? If I'm, if I'm- No. Oh, really? No, it's, wow. No, it's the opposite. I, where did it go? It's oh, a guy it with some common sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here you go. Here it is. Jeff, he checked in. He goes, uh, first off, very nice. Loving the show today. But, <laughs> in capital letters, exclamation point, I am the self-appointed biggest Van Halen fan in Indiana. David Lee Roth is a better lyricist and frontman, but Sammy is a far better singer and could play lead guitar on the couple tours in the 80s when Eddie played uh, keyboards. I just wrote back, thanks for the message and the props. Um, I'll forgive you for saying positive things about Sammy. <laughs> so what I wrote Very big of you there. That's good. I'm sure that was tough for you to, for you to give that forgiveness so <laughs> willingly, but uh, proud of you. Yeah. And I just said, I'm kidding, man. It's all in fun. But uh, yeah, like, okay, uh, you know, we won't do a whole thing here because we've talked enough DLR v. Sammy or v. Sam, if you would like. But I don't care that Sammy played lead guitar. I don't care that he's a far better singer. Dave was a good enough singer and he was way more fun. Give me fun with rock music. You know, there aren't. Like, genres of music, I'm not necessarily looking for fun. I'm not looking for fun with metal. I'm not looking for fun with rap. You know what I mean? But for rock, yeah, I'm looking for fun. I'm looking for a good time. And Van Halen was worlds more fun with David Lee Roth. There's no happiness and smiles when Slayer is into the darkness of of, of their sets? No? I'll put it this way. If there's anything happy with a Slayer song, it's a bad Slayer song. That's what I would say right there. Okay, now I got to get you some audio here. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, and uh, we love lists. I do. So this is Cam Newton, okay? Cam Newton has a new YouTube video. And he's talking about maybe being a backup quarterback. Now, I bring this up because it is tied to the Colts, as you will find out. First off, the intro from Cam Newton here. I know a lot of people have a lot of things to say in regards to my future in the NFL. And I wanted to set the record straight by saying, this is how I feel. There ain't 32 guys that's better than me. But I also know that I could also be a backup. And I'm willing to be a backup. Okay. So it was the drop off, for me, by the way. I wasn't I laughing at, at his comments. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was the dramatic drop in there. <laughs> it sounded like um, the weakest link. Yes. Didn't it? Yes. The very intense music in the background. Cam is the weakest link this round. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Goodbye. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I love that girl. She was great. But uh, yeah, awful way to start this off, which is, hey, by the way, there aren't 32 quarterbacks better than me, but I'm willing to be a backup which is Red Flag City immediately, right? Like, you've just told us in your head you feel like there aren't 32 quarterbacks that are better than you, but somehow as an organization we're supposed to believe you're going to be cool with the backup role? Like, how? How is you, How are you just going to hold the clipboard and be like, yeah, just happy to be here, even though I'm better than this guy I'm backing up? There's some mixed signals there with the messaging. I don't know if if, if Cam had, had a PR director with him when he mapped that one out. Um Look, <laughs> I, at at his peak, I was one of the biggest Cam Newton fans out there. Like, like even even as as a Chiefs fan, you're allowed to enjoy and be enamored by just high level talent. And I was particularly that uh, MVP season for Cam, like in 2015. It, it it was masterful, and I enjoyed every second of it. But 
I could see him potentially if he was more accepting of it. And I mean more accepting than whatever the heck that clip was. I could see him maybe still being a backup in the league. Not a longtime starter, though, anymore. No, unfortunately. No, 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 not anymore. And that's, yeah, I think he still views himself as a starter. Clearly, because yes. he, he's not <laughs> saying there aren't 32 quarterbacks better than me. So now he gives the detailed list of who he's willing to back up. Oh, I thought it was going to be who he's better than. I was oh, really excited. Well, that would have been even better. Absolutely. I love your idea. That should be the follow-up video. But this is the first quarterback Cam would be cool backing up. Players that I would back up. Number one. I'll back up Deshaun Watson. It goes without saying, me and Deshaun Watson's relationship, uh, he was on my 707 All-Star team. I've grown to admire the person, the athlete that he is, going through a lot of turmoil, uh, but I believe that doesn't, that, that's behind him. Mm. Okay, this is the part that stood out to me. That music, by the way, sorry, that music sounds like either something out of a master class or one of those videos where you're like at a car dealership or something where they're showing you like why you should buy this. Like, yeah, Yeah. I I just bought this car and it's been a little elevator like a little elevator like I've grown to admire the person, the athlete that he is grown to admire the person that Deshaun Watson is. Yes. Uh. Right. Uh, okay. Tough, tough look for my guy, Cam. <laughs> tough, tough, Man. Tough. Yeah. All right. That's questionable, but whatever. You're willing to back up Deshaun Watson in Cleveland. They did pick up Joshua Dobbs, who uh, did start a game for the Titans a couple of games last year with the playoffs on the line. They picked him up off the street in front of Malik Willis. But uh, that's the one, two in, in Cleveland right now. Deshaun Watson, Joshua Dobbs. Here's the second quarterback. My number two person would be wherever Lamar Jackson decides to go. Okay. All right. Willing to follow Lamar where he ends up. Maybe he stays put in Baltimore. Time will tell. Tyler Huntley still there. Restricted free agent. All right. Pro Bowl. Tyler Huntley. Justin Fields. <laughs> yes. The Pro Bowl with Tyler Huntley. <laughs> There's two touchdown passes. Number three will be Justin Fields. Uh, another C1M product. Okay, so he's talking about his seven-on-seven seven thing. You'll hear C1N. Was quite Lamar a bit. in that too? I don't believe okay. so. Uh, in the C C1N, is that what you're asking? Uh, yeah, because it was- sounds like there might be, you know, a disclaimer needed at the end of this video that Cam may be uh, <laughs> receiving compensation for the views expressed herein. <laughs> <laughs> no, like he's, he shouts out anyone that has C1N ties. Sure. So we're left to assume the ones that aren't shouted out do not have C1N seven-on-seven football ties, okay? He's not getting rings with any of these uh, spots he's picked to this point, by the way. No, 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 no. And by the way, the Bears' backup quarterback right now is P.J. Walker and Nathan Peterman. So, um, okay, all right, let's proceed. Number four will be Tua Tonga-Valoa. All right, Tua, Tua. He's willing to back up Tua. They did sign Mike F. and White. They did get Mike F. and White. You're pretty excited about that. No, not really. No, yeah, okay. Way too much My money fault. from Mike F. White. But, I mean, you got to have a legitimate backup quarterback with Tua being a walking medicine cabinet over there, unfortunately. But, you know, Mike F. White, eh, shoulder shrug. Not a huge fan. Here we go. Here's Cam's list continuing. Number five will be Malik Willis, another C1N uh, <laughs> all-star uh, representative. Okay, so, uh, you know, Malik is the backup right now. Correct. Ryan Tannehill is the starter, so he's willing to be the backup of the backup in Tennessee, if that's the case. All right, fine. Uh, by the way, again, rough look. When Malik Willis in his rookie season, they signed Joshua Dobbs off the street. And it was the big Thursday night game against the Cowboys. 
They they lost that one. And then the playoffs on the line, road game against Jacksonville. Those were both starts from Joshua Dobbs, who didn't even have the playbook a week before those starts. Tell me you're not confident in your quarterback without telling me you're not confident Ooh, in your quarterback. Man, yeah, that was the ultimate right there. More from Cam. I would say there's three rookie quarterbacks that I would love or enjoy <gasps> to groom. Okay, all right. Let's stop it right there. Who do you think the three rookie quarterbacks are, Jay Cook? Call your shot. I'm going to say Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. Okay, let's find out. Any of these rookie quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson, any one of those guys, I would be happy to back those guys up. Mm, No love for Will the Thrill Levis, huh? I can't believe they have Cam now on this Will Levis slander campaign. How'd they get Cam? Even Cam's a sheep too. Just joining the trends (laughs) over here. Will Levis, I'm not convinced. Okay, more from Cam. Number seven, Jalen Hurts. Okay, Uh, the Eagles quarterback. Let's see that no Gardner Minshew right now for Philly. So their backup is, oh, that's right, Marcus Mariota. Okay. All right. Not a whole lot to say there with Mariota. Like, he's okay as a backup, can run around a little bit, can't stay healthy, can't throw a lot of touchdown passes, but has a lot of starts under his belt. Okay. A couple more from Cam. Number eight would be Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Um, we're assuming the Jets uh, for uh, Aaron Rodgers. I get that him. one. New York, the Big Apple. No pressure yeah. on Cam. Hold the clipboard. Go see a, a, a Knicks game. Uh, uh-huh. maybe, maybe, maybe some playoff baseball. Yeah, yeah, you're good. See the Rangers? Yeah, I get it. I understand. Okay. Number nine would be Josh Allen. Okay. Bill's quarterback could back him up. Yep. They've got Kyle Allen right there. How about that? Josh Allen, Kyle Allen. Got to be the only situation in the NFL like that. One JK. more from Cam. Yep. And number 10 will be Sam Howell, another C1N uh, alumna. Okay, Sam Howell with the uh, Washington Commanders. uh, Penciled in right now is QB1 with Jacoby Brissett backing him up. And this was, I like the outro from Cam. No, some of those guys may already have penciled in backups that the franchise is probably okay with, and that's fine. I'm just voicing my opinion, and I'm just getting the narrative out. Okay, just getting the narrative out there. Just throwing his name in the hats, if you will. The game is the game. The grind is the grind. You got you to gotta do what you got to do. Got to respect the man. He's got to put himself out there. Remind, remind teams he's still there. Yeah, just a little tap on the shoulder like, hey, still available. What do you think? It's amazing how quickly ships sail in the NFL. Yeah. And I'm telling you, when he, he's trying to change, as he put it, the narrative – and he's doing a bad job of it because the last thing we heard from Cam is there aren't 32 quarterbacks better than me. And so he picked up where he left off with a slight alteration. He picked up uh, he picked up saying there still aren't 32 quarterbacks better than me in my mind. But I'm willing to be a backup and detailed it. All these teams are going to be skeptical, man. They know he's not going to be happy being a backup. Hey, I, I love the, the mixed signals that are being sent there. On the one hand, he's still showing a high level of confidence, right? He, he's, he's exuding that confidence. But on the other hand, even though he says that he's better than there's not 32 quarterbacks better than him, he's fine with that backup role. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm not fully convinced. But no. I will say if I'm to give praise for one thing from that, it is the shameless plugging 
of C1N. Oh, I love man, it. Yeah. Because 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 <laughs> of the list, at least half of the list had C1N connections, and I love it. I, at a minimum, you don't get the starting job, but you're you're promoting your seven on seven. It's a businessman right there. He absolutely was uh, promoting it, shouting it out numerous times. And how about this from the Colts' perspective? What do you think? Well, he's not willing to back up Will Levis. But what if? What if the Colts drafted Anthony Richardson, right, with Cam as the backup? Wouldn't happen in year one, but let's not forget Gardner Minshew on a one-year deal, right? So if they draft Anthony Richardson, what about the possibility of Cam having a horseshoe on the side of his helmet in Indy in 2024? Huh? Does that excite you at all? I mean, no. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. How about if the Colts got Lamar Jackson and Cam ended up as the backup after this year? They wouldn't have Cam as well as Gardner Minshew, but in 24, you get Lamar and Cam. How about that combo platter? I mean, that sounds like a fun combo platter in general. That There's a lot about the NFL process as a whole that I feel like you could learn from those two. But uh, in terms of them being in Indianapolis, no, thank you. No, thanks. No th- I like how you, uh, you know, you, you kind of you started off positively, you know, you, it, almost misdirection, I would say, and then at the end, yeah, hard no. Because I, because I do, I, I told you, I, I loved Cam. <laughs> I, I, I respected his game a ton. I still feel the same way about Lamar. He has a, a certain level of dynamic, just I don't know, game changing ability within him when he's healthy, and yeah, I. Love them both as players, but Cam, I think, is past his point, and Lamar, the asking price, if I'm the Colts, as we've stressed, ad nauseum at times on Lamar, is just too great. Too much. Too much over there. All right, a little bit later today, looking forward to this, we will do our top three most interesting NFL teams, our bottom three least interesting NFL teams. I'm very much looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Right around the corner, though, some audio that I'm not going to say it's going to give you nightmares, but it's going to make you go, oh my gosh, that's disgusting. You know? You're going to want to stick around, trust me. Maybe not my greatest tease, <laughs> but you're going to want to hear this. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We got a lot going on here today. We've got Tony East, covers the Pacers on pretty much every platform invented. Sports Illustrated, Forbes, WTHR, Locked On Pacers podcast. Uh, the toilet, maybe, also. I don't know, right? Like, anything that uh, is a legitimate platform, he's probably on, man. He's on, like, four right there. Tony's a well, grinder. He's a grinder, man. We'll have him on at 1 o'clock. Todd Blackledge at 2 o'clock. NBC Sports going to be calling football games over there. Looking forward to that. Um, we got a lot of ball to discuss. There's more involving the Colts in a roundabout way. Some interesting comments from the Baltimore Ravens. Just playing these games. Of, yeah, we might take a quarterback in the first round. <laughs> like, oh, okay. All right. Uh, we'll get to that in the second hour as well. I want to play you some audio that it's not going to quite give you nightmares. I don't think it goes to that degree here, uh, Jimmy Cook. But uh, it is, it's pretty interesting. So this is hockey. We don't talk a ton of hockey, but there was something that caught my attention. I wanted to bring it up. So this is uh, Matt Duquesne. He plays for the Nashville Predators. And a teammate of his hit a slap shot, right? And, and it made contact with his hand. Okay, so this was the audio to start off with on Valley Sports. Fabro cranks it up. That hit Duchesne right in front of the net. Duchesne's in pain. Duchesne looking at his left hand, and he signals to the bench he's in trouble. Okay, so that's the time that it happened, right? 
So his teammate Fabro unleashes a nasty slap shot. Right in front of the net, his teammate Duchesne, it, it hits him in the hand. Okay, now here's the follow-up, Jimmy Cook. Now this is the part. I don't like the path we're going down. This is the part. Just just listen very carefully here. I saw Matt Duchesne yesterday in Nashville, and he was explaining how he, in Toronto, took the slap shot from Fabro, and he looked in his glove. His finger wasn't on his finger. Half of it was in his glove. That's the path I figured we were going down. That is about right. The, this is the Man. best part. That I hope everything's okay. Like you always think about Ronnie Lott, the great San Francisco 49ers safety, where you know, like the tip of his finger is no more. Like I hope Duchesne somehow got this put back. I don't know. I don't know where it stands right now. But the best part of, as far as the description goes, is this: his finger wasn't on his finger. <laughs> his- Finger wasn't on his finger over there. The fingertip was uh, somewhere else. It's not on the finger. Sometimes you got to keep it simple with those descriptions. I get it. I understand. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'll tell you what, man. Not to go down too dark of a path. Mm. In sports, there have been some nasty injuries, right? But that has got to be one of the nastier ones if you're in that spot. You know what I mean? Like, ow, the slap shot just hit me. All right, let's uh, let's do a maintenance check over here. Oh my gosh, what is happening right now? As you peek inside the glove, not good, not good, Jimmy Cook. Yeah, I there's plenty we could list. I really don't want to take us down. No, this no, path. no, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, let, 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 let's just say though, a number of the most horrific ones I've seen have been in UFC the last five years. Just, oh, just some some brutal ones. And again, man. I'm not. I I realize I'm kind of. Just taking a peek inside Pandora's yeah. box, not yep. not trying to dive headfirst in there, but I, you know I what I'm to, talking about. I have you... to share. I have to share one story, oh, okay. and I'll be as non-graphic as possible. All right. Okay. So in Albany, New York, I was doing radio there for a little while, and we used to do these UFC nights. So we would go to is like a local sports bar. It was huge. It was this is awesome place, and so we would host the event. We would go there and. Like, they'd give us these horrible prizes, and I couldn't give out, like, these C movies. You know, <laughs> I would just buy drinks. I'd be like, if you can point out a rear naked chokehold, I'll buy you a round of beers or whatever, right? That, that sort of thing. Sure. And so we're just having fun watching UFC. Frank Mir is fighting some guy. I don't remember who. And it got to a point where Frank Mir has this dude's arm, and he's stuck. And the guy is like, I'm not tapping. And Frank Mir is basically like, they're in the octagon, they're fighting, they're wrestling, and he's, and they're basically like, you know, communicating without saying things. Like, are you sure, dude? Because are you going to make me do it? And the other guy's like, yep, you got to do it. I'm not going to tap. And what, what, again, these are UFC diehards packing the sports bar, watching UFC events here. And, uh, Basically, Snapola went the arm, yep. and and the whole place was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like, and again, these are hardcore UFC fans, and it was still disgusting to them. That's how bad it was. Yeah, I'll take the L, audience. That's my fault. I took us down that path. I apologize. It's on me. It's his finger right wasn't on his finger. <laughs> Sorry, but again, you know, I I didn't go in great detail. You I did not. Think. You okay, did not. Good. All right. Coming up next, non-gross banter with Tony East. Covers the Pacers on a variety of platforms. We'll discuss the tank standings and beyond. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. 
Here on The Fan, I want to welcome in Tony East, covers the Pacers for 72 different platforms, including Sports Illustrated, Forbes, WTHR, Locked On Pacers podcast, and he's multitasking. You're playing chess as you're talking Pacers right now, Tony? I just lost, so I am no longer playing chess. <laughs> but I was, I was hoping to be done by one. Uh, if the timing means I basically was done right at one. Is how this worked out. So how uh, how intense are you in chess? Right? Like, is this a oh, big no. deal for you? <laughs> I'm not very good. No, it's uh, definitely a hobby that I need to stop doing. Actually, probably taking up too much of my time these days. <laughs> How uh, how much time is going to be freed up with the Pacers season coming to an end for you, though? Uh, I don't know. It depends because Fever start the very next day with their draft on uh, on Monday. So uh, the overlap the overlap is is very tight this year. So not a ton, not a ton. And Tony, I'll, I'll start there just to sprinkle in some love. Uh, uh, obviously, we want to get to the Pacers throughout the co- course of this conversation, but uh, is the thought Aaliyah Boston is where things are going to line up? Yeah, I mean. Look, it's it's not a one-player draft, but it's a, as close as you can get, and and she's the one player and the Fever who finally, after years in the lottery and not getting the luck they need, being one pick behind where they need to be over and over and over again, get the number one, and and one of the most surefire talents is going pro. So they'll have a they'll have a, a quality player here. I think she's got a all WNBA level ceiling, and she'll fit in well with what they need. I'm just thinking about the Pacers, Tony, and. It's becoming Groundhog Day, I feel like, right? Where it's just each day it's, all right, they lost. Where are they in the tank standings? What beyond just the normal sort of thing is really interesting to you that isn't just the common thing we typically are, are viewing and talking about? Yeah, it's been that has been a lot of how these games go, right? Okay, they competitive game. That's what they wanted. They get good experience from that. They end up you know, falling by a couple in the end. And uh, let's look at the standings. Okay, they're still tied for six or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, what they've been talking about internally and what has been, I think, the the key part of these last three or four weeks is the, the growth of their rookies and their young players, right, who are thrown into significantly bigger opportunities. And that's something I've been talking to, uh, asking guys about. Like, I just asked Jordan Ward at practice this week what it feels like for him being the oldest player in their starting lineup. He's 24 years old, right? Like, it's a huge change for him. <laughs> coming from the Bucks, where he was like the youngest player to this team. And, um, you know, here it, it, it's totally different. And that's been huge for them, right? Like Ben Matherin's been getting tougher defensive assignments. That's been a big thing to watch. And um, uh, Andrew Nembard's been getting point guard opportunities. He's really enjoyed having some offensive chances. And uh, all these guys are just getting bigger opportunities and growing with it. And it, that's been crucial for this team beyond the results is guys learning skills that they can one day use when this team is, uh, is peaking in a little bit better. Tony East of Locked On Pacers, Forbes, WTHR.com. A couple other places you can find his work as well. Nice enough to take some time with us. Tony, we were joking a little bit to open the show as we've continued to listen to, and I, it is what it is. I'm not mad at him for it, but coach speak after coach speak from Rick Carlisle as he's navigated through the, the muck of this final stretch of games towards the end of the season. Do you imagine Coach Carlisle relishes in the art of the dance in these press conferences, or do you, do you think he's, he's kind of ready for the season to be done as much as the rest of us? No, I think he's, good. he's actually pretty thoughtful about what's actually being asked and why, and um, I really appreciate that of him and the way he, he speaks in these moments. But, yeah, you know, there is a little bit to that of, of talking about who is and isn't playing, and, you know, we're, 
and talking about the same topics over and over, I think is certainly difficult as well, because there's only, you know, we're asking about the same players every game these days yeah. and who yeah. did well and who didn't and all sorts of that kind of stuff. So it does feel kind of repetitive. And I think for him, it's a lot of, you know, not, not necessarily repeating answers, but just saying, uh, saying in a different way or talking about how a guy grew from one day to the next can be, you know, a little bit feeling like groundhog day for him as well. So that's been uh, fun and interesting at the same time. But yeah, there is an art to it and making sure that, you know, everybody's getting the right praise and every, it's, it's very clear what is and isn't being learned by specific players. And I, I feel bad myself because I feel like I've repeated questions or asked something similar like a hundred times, but you know, it's a job to do. And, and he's done a good job of being very thoughtful with us all year. Talking to Tony East here on the fan covers the Pacers. What have you, Tony, either learned or what has been reinforced as you watch the Pacers and their lineup without their top guys? Uh, what have you seen that you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know this guy could do that? Or it's like, I knew this, I know it even more now. It almost feels like every player has shown like one tiny little thing that you know, you'd hope they could show when the team is you know, trying a little harder to win games next season. Like Jordan Wara, who I mentioned earlier, they've been working really hard with him about his playmaking, right? He's getting more opportunities to run pick and rolls, have the ball in his hands, make a few passes. Like his assists per game is more than doubled from when it ever was with Milwaukee. And like I mentioned with Matherin, they're putting him on, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Donovan Mitchell and even Luca for and Kyrie for a few possessions, like getting growing him in that way. His passing looks a little better. And it's all these little micro things that guys have been working on all year, but when you're a starter and you're playing against other stars, you can really show it uh, frequently over the course of a game when you're playing 30 to 35 minutes. Those two have been the two that have stood out and that we've asked the most about. But Jalen Smith's defense has been a little better. He had 15 rebounds and a bunch of blocks in a game last week. He was really solid last night with 19 points. He's finally finding a little bit of natural footing to close this season. And Nembard, again, playing point guard again like he did in college. Like That growth is really important for him because that looks like his more natural position long term. Like Every single player you could probably find a little thing that they've gotten better at and improved. The question is, can that skill apply when they're playing next to Tyrese Halbert and Miles Turner, who have the ball all the time and are super talented? The Pacers are really good when they play this year, right? They would be a playoff level team if they had played in every single game, at least by win percentage. They didn't, obviously. Uh, but can those skills remain and, and be intact and, and helpful when the Pacers are uh, healthy next year and trying to push for a little more? Tony, I know you and I talked about this a little earlier in the week on Locked on Pacers podcast, a, a great podcast you subscribe to for all your, your Pacers coverage uh, throughout the course of the season and the offseason as well. And one of our main discussion points was NCAA tournament in the rear view. Where did stock rise? Where were impressions made the most? There's no guarantee where the Pacers end up within the draft lottery. When you look at all of the information gathered from the NCAA tournament and all the information gathered as well from the likes of Overtime Elite, what really jumps out at you the most in terms of prospects that aren't named uh, Scoot Henderson or Victor Wembanyama? <laughs> well, that that is the story of the draft is those two days, which will be a uh, fascinating <laughs> to see who can jump up to the top two. In my head, I haven't really dove into a ton of of minor league or our college tape yet just because the NBA season is still going on. But statistically, and for the games I have caught, it seems like there's about eight guys that I think would be pretty good to great NBA players. And the Pacers are going to be right in that mix for the top eight, which is why, you know, this lottery is pretty important. And, you know, Kevin Pritchard always jokes that it seems like, you know, wherever you end up post lotto, you know, if you love five players, you'll end up six. If you love, you know, eight players, you'll end up nine. Right. So that always is what it feels like. But to me in my head right now, 
there's eight real talents. You know, Miller, Brandon Miller played poorly in the tournament, but he had a wonderful season. The Thompson twins uh, and overtime elite both look like they could be really solid at the pro level. Uh, Jarris Walker from Houston, Cam Whitmore at Villanova. Those two guys look like they're going to be so solid in the NBA as well. And it's been very highly regarded by experts who follow this stuff year in and year out as one of the more talented drafts in a while and looks better than the next couple as well, which is important. And another key part of this is, you know, as the NBA CBA news gets leaked out, they're not changing the one and done rule, right? So Mm -hmm. that was a thing to monitor, I think, a little bit because if there was going to be a draft in the next few years where high schoolers and guys who got stuck in the last one and done year went pro at the same time, there's going to be like a loaded draft coming up, but that's not going to be the case anymore. So a really valuable and, and talented draft like this 2023 one still behooves teams who are at the top of it. And uh, the Pacers are certainly there. So if they can jump up or even stay in the top eight, I think that'd be great for them. I feel like behooves is an underutilized word right there. You know, <laughs> it kind I of really just do. flies off the tongue too, doesn't it? It does. It makes me think of Denzel and Training Day, where he says it behooves you to not bleep around on this one. <laughs> but I, I think about this: Tony East joining us here, covering the Pacers. You know what? Let's channel our inner Levar Ball. Let's try to speak stuff into existence here. So, if the Pacers got the number one overall pick. I think I know your answer. Who's their guy? If they have the two pick, who do you think their guy is? If they have the three pick, who do you think it is? If you look mega crystal ball, what would the Pacers do you think would do if they had either the first, the second, or the third pick? Yeah, look, one one is we don't have to go in depth on this. They'll pick Wembenyama. Any team would do that. I mean, there's a chance he's one of the best to ever do it. it, it it's so impossible to actually say that because he's 18 years old or 19 now, I believe. But the the tape of what he's doing at seven foot five over in France is, is unbelievable. But, you know, two and three is where it gets really interesting, right? Because Brandon Miller, really talented, looks like at least as a basketball player, would be a really good fit with what the Pacers can do, what they need. His size is really impressive. He can kind of do it all. Scoot Henderson, who might go number two, does not look like as good of a fit, right? Kind of commands the ball, and he's a good rebounder for a guard, which the Pacers don't really have that. But they have Matherin and Halberton on the team already. That doesn't even account for Andrew Nembard, who has shown a lot of ball handling skills of late as well. He wouldn't fit as well with what they already have in place, despite being supremely talented, right? So if they end up at three, and I, you know, I think that that is the top three that seems somewhat likely at this stage, it's early. Uh, then you have to, they have to have some questions, right? They try to move down to four or five, or do they pick Scoot Henderson and try to fit him in? That's where I think it's, it's interesting. But I think given the Pacers' current roster, what their needs would be when Banyama 1, Miller 2 would be the order that makes the most sense just given what they would need. Tony East with us on the Pacers beat for Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at TEASTNBA and get him on Locked on Pacers as well. Tony, when you look at this Pacers roster, how different do you expect it to look outside of the, the rookies that will potentially be coming in? How different do you think this roster looks between where we're at now to where things will be at opening day in October? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, by default, a busy offseason for them, right? The question is, how does that materialize? They have three guys who are going to be free agents. Uh, O'Shea Brissett, George Hill, and James Johnson, right? All three of which, when the Pacers were healthy after the trade deadline, weren't even in the rotation. But they have five draft picks and a ton of cap space and likely at least some sort of hopes of improving next year. And while rookies can be good, like Nathan has been, you need established, talented players to be a little better. So if, assuming they would like to sign at least one player, like they need to trade away or consolidate a lot of names on this team, right? And that is where 
you know, it, it's easy to kind of point to things from this player or that player or, you know, the age of certain players and say, yeah, maybe they don't make the most sense for the Pacers long term, but there's just so many options that it's hard to really say who they would or wouldn't prioritize. Like anyone over, let's, I'm just making this up, but anyone over Miles Turner's age, right? Like do they truly fit the Pacers' timeline going forward or if the Pacers are really going for it next year and they really want to be, you know, a team that can maybe get out of the first round, do they want to keep a lot of those veterans, right? And so they, that they have the best possible chance to move into, you know, postseason success or, you know, do they want to maximize the playing time for any rookie they may get? Like if they get one, but yeah, that changes who they may or may not trade on their team. So it is kind of dependent on what direction I feel like they want to go and how the, how the draft lottery ends up shaking out for them. But because they have just currently so few open spots in their team next year and a ton of resources to acquire new talent, it almost seems like they're going to be in a mode where, a lot of guys could theoretically be on the table to be moved, not necessarily because they're trying to move them, but just because they, they almost have to to accomplish whatever goals they want to accomplish. You know, I give you credit, Tony, because, dude, you know the Pacers in and out, and uh, I do mean that as a compliment. I'm just curious, what's the most random fun fact you know about the Pacers? It could be related oh, to God. a player that, I don't know, like uh, 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 Buddy Heald loves shredded wheat. You know, I don't know. It's just some, something completely out there that we would be, uh, we'd like to know. I knew that their old shooting guard, Jeremy Lamb, who is not on a team this year, he's really good at darts. Uh, oh, that really? Was a sto- that was a story I always thought would have been really fun to do. He play- Back when he played with the Hornets in Charlotte, he loved playing darts. And I only got to talk to him about it a few times uh, when he was with the Pacers. But there's my random fun fact is that Jeremy Lamb is a, a master of, of the dartboard. And I... I'm terrible at darts, so I'm very jealous. <laughs> That's perfect, yeah. Uh, well, hey, man, maybe you'll challenge one of these Pacers at chess one of these days, right? Uh, that would be a, a very strange day for a lot of people. If that is a good <laughs> well, hey, man, Tony, you crushed it today, man. Thanks for visiting with us. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Tony. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. There he is, Tony East. Covers the Pacers for Sports Illustrated, Forbes, WTHR, and the Locked On Pacers podcast. That is a fearsome foursome right there. You know, all those platforms. Very good job by Tony. He, he covers a lot of different angles uh, amongst the Pacers. Does a wonderful job as well covering the Fever. I That was a bad year for the Fever last year, but uh, Leah Boston it is as exciting a prospect as been in that ranks. Uh, they're they're going to be a fun team uh, to watch, I would think, this year. And Tony's going to have you covered uh, through those ranks as well. And then you'll have the draft lottery and the NBA draft uh, smooshed in there also. Be a good time. You know, And I will say this, too, related to the Pacers and really a lot of NBA teams right now, the teams that are shutting down their top guys, I get where, look, if you were going to go to the arena, it might not be like, let's go see the B team, you know, it might not be like that. But if you're a hoops head, it is pretty interesting because it does show you how capable some of these players are that normally don't have prominent roles. And you see, like, instead of being the third or fourth option, well, now tonight, because we're resting our top guys, you're the number one option. And some of these dudes do stuff where I'm like, holy cow, I didn't know he could do that. I know Emmanuel quickly can score a lot. The dude took 26 shots last (laughs) night. He scored 39 points. The Knicks had three guys score 30-plus. Quentin Grimes went for 36. Obi Toppin went for 32. All those guys hit at least, what, they hit (laughs) all... They hit at least five three-pointers, yeah. all those guys, last night. Quickly had seven. And so I don't know. I find that to be interesting. Uh, you could look around the league for a lot of examples of that. 
where Shaden Sharp with the Blazers is doing his thing. Uh, you could go on and on with other dudes that are finally getting that chance. I think that's pretty interesting to see them be able to have that prominent role and a lot of those guys step up. And and that's kind of why I'm also kind of always banging the drum for the NBA playoffs and why even though the Pacers aren't in it, like if you're looking for sports to watch or you're a basketball junkie, like it does get turned up a notch and one of the more fascinating series, assuming it plays out this way, it's it's pretty much a lock to at this point. Um, it actually might be. It's, it's clinched playoff position. Okay, so yeah, Cavs-Knicks, like I don't think the Knicks win that series. I think Cleveland ultimately ends up advancing, but that 4-5 matchup first round, one of my circlet, gotta watch, must-see TV aspect for a lot of the just not only on the Cavs side, but the Knicks players you just mentioned, like quickly and 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 top, and I'm l- looking forward to it as a whole. You know what's funny too is I'm just looking at the box score from last night's Pacers game, and it's just funny how sometimes we talk about what led to a win. You know, so the Knicks won last night, one thirty eight to one twenty nine. They had eleven bench points. That's it. Everybody, everything else was scored by the starters. They had eleven <laughs> bench points, and meanwhile the Pacers. Goodness, I can't even add it up on the fly. 31, 41, 50. They had 58 bench points. So if the Pacers would have won, you know what the talking point would have been. Well, look at the bench. The bench points. The Pacers stepped up. I mean, you got a lot of production off the bench, right? It's just funny how that works out sometimes. I can't remember the college basketball game, the NCAA tournament, where one of the teams was out-rebounded by a decent margin but still lost the game. And it's just funny, right? You hear me on that where yeah. you just check the box score and say, well, they clearly won because of uh, the rebounding battle. They right. crushed them on the glass or the bench points or what have you. And there are a lot of games that prove otherwise that we don't view the same way. That's why a lot of people, and I'm happy both in the, the sports talk spectrum, but also just the way that sports content is consumed. We've kind of put a pin or said little finger wag your 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 Matumbo uh, finger wag there that it's not just box score analytics like there's still some aspects to it that matters where you can find a key reason for why x y or z happened but it's often so much larger than that and it really is a matter of sitting down watching the game like looking back at how runs happen versus just ah oh, they got five more rebounds than the other team that's why they got it yeah it's, it's a lot deeper than that in today's and and by the average sports fan it's a lot deeper than that too which has just shown how everything's kind of grown as technology and different metrics have been more accepted uh, amongst the common fan i think uh, you know if we were to rank what is thought to be the reason for wins that isn't i think a lot of times it would be three point shooting like I, I just dawned on me it's a few weeks ago, the Lakers beat the Dallas Mavericks. Okay, the Lakers won one eleven to one oh eight, and it's just amazing what happened from three point range. The Lakers from three, Jimmy, they won the game. They were six for thirty four. Okay, <laughs> that's less than eighteen percent. Dallas was twenty for forty nine. That's nearly forty one percent. So you know as well as I do, if Dallas wins that game, oh, three-point shooting. That's what swung it. You know what I mean? But like the Lakers still won that game, even though they got crushed from the three-point line. It's amazing sometimes. In a smaller scale, and there's often times where – it's not as present in college. I mean, like the crazy three-point numbers. You'll find them, but there's other times in tournament games where like in the NBA on a Tuesday you'll see like – 
25 threes taken in an NCAA tournament game, you'll still find a game where there's like 10 or 12. More recent memory, I think about Miami's win over Texas to get to the final four. They didn't hit a three-pointer, if I'm not mistaken, in the second half. They made two three-pointers that entire game, and they put up 88 points. Like, yeah, there's a lot of areas where common knowledge is say, ah, good three-point shooting team. And it's not the case. For me, my biggest pitfall, uh, points off turnovers. That often jumps off the page at me. Like, if you're a team that, like, maybe you, you win the turnover battle, but if you had five turnovers that led to 15 points, sometimes that can matter. You dive deeper, oh, the other team that actually turned it over five times actually won by 25. So how much did it really matter? There's a lot I, of nuggets like that and angles that you can fall into the pitfall of box score analysis. Oh, it's so interesting, man. It really is. And by the way, in the Masters, Xander Shoffley, so he had a shot and uh, it was just on the lip of the hole, just sitting there. Remember when Tiger hit that infamous shot oh, yeah. that dropped? And it just st- stood there on the swoosh <laughs> yes. you know, for a while and then dropped. Shoffley stood there, didn't drop, didn't drop. And you didn't have the same you know, shot. You, you saw the C in Callaway. That's it. You can only see the C. <laughs> so rough for Callaway right there. There was a bug on the, uh, the flag, though, the flagpole. I did notice like a little fly was on the flagpole. That was his 15 minutes of fame right there. 15, 15 seconds of fame for the for the fly right there. Hopefully his fly friends were DVRing that one so they can relive it. What do you think about the Masters right now, Jimmy? I didn't know this. Did you know this about betting? I'm looking at DK right now. And you can do not only hole by hole, you can do a group of holes. So, for instance, right now, I don't know where they're at. They're just starting 10 to 12. So I'll do holes 11 through 13, okay? So a three-hole little, three little trio. So you could go with either John Rahm, Justin Thomas, or Cameron Young. That's the the trio. That's the group right now. So you've got odds on each of those to have the best score just within those three holes. Is that degenerate gambling right there? I think it is. I mean, again, 1-800-9 with it. But yes, it's a dangerous game. It it can be like if you're looking for a reason, even if you're like, I don't really like golf, it it stinks. And again, I I already gave you the number. So bet it responsibly because it it, it is a very, very dangerous game. But if you're at home and and you're just sitting back and uh, let's turn on the Masters, see what's going on there. Yeah, if all of a sudden you simultaneously open up that DraftKings book, people talk about the prop bets you can participate in during the Super Bowl. And it's it's the king, like right there. There's no debating that. But majors in golf are wildly underrated in terms of just the level of degeneracy you can fall into if oh. you're not careful. Oh, absolutely. Now, here's my question. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for me? So I'm just looking at these, uh, you know, these this group hole type thing. You can bet on this. The grouped hole winner. So I'll use the same thing. Holes 11 through 13, you go with either John Rahm, Justin Thomas, or Cameron Young. I, I just I can't just throw 20 bucks in the air and say, eh, John Rahm, he's been good so far. Maybe Romster will get this thing done. I, I can't do it. Now, is that a good or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing. If I were betting like thousands of dollars, yeah, do your research, have a compelling angle, look for something other than just gambling. But if it's like 10, 20 bucks, is that a good thing that I still can't do that unless I have an angle? You mean good like in terms of the self-restraint you've shown? Well, I mean like, you know, 
What's the big deal if I'm like, eh, 10 bucks, I might win. Instead of doing all the, and I'm not doing like hours of analysis, but I got to do a little bit of digging. I have to have at least a reason why other than it might happen. You know what I mean? Like, is that good if you're betting that small of an amount to still need to have that angle? I think yes, because you you could take that small wager instead and play it over the course of the tournament, right? It's different or not the tournament. Yeah, over the course of the master tournament. It's different when you're betting like a first half bet, right? That's a smaller size, but you can still compile enough data. Like you're not a whole game wager. You're just a half wager. Here though, it's one hole over the course of an entire 72 <laughs> holes of golf. And unless you legitimately have every metric down and you believe full confidence, this is what's going to happen because you know the course layout and You've done the analytical study for it. It's like my tiger bet today. I didn't. I didn't study like the different. Uh, I didn't even study the whole location for that bet. It was just, oh, it's tiger and it's the first hole. Let's <laughs> bet it. That, that's the entire analysis that went into that. You know, it's funny to me, and I feel like I deserve it sometimes. When I'll have a bet, it's obviously significant to you. Whatever the amount is, you want to win whatever amount you put on. It could yeah. be five bucks, ten bucks, could be much more. You want to win. What's funny is the scenarios where the players don't care at all. You care. Like, the team might be up by 20 points, and I need this one guy to hit his final free throw so he cashes his over prop bet of, like, his point total. He doesn't care, really, if he hits it or not. (laughs) It'd be nice (laughs) if he does, but he's not going to lose sleep. And if he misses, I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) And he has no idea. I think that's pretty funny. Or you get those bets, like, the fir- I love first half bets, and sometimes they just they they don't take a shot before the buzzer sounds right. They don't want to take the half court shot and mess up their shooting percentage, so they won't even take the shot. They'll dribble around and be like, "Oh man, didn't quite get that shot off." And you're like, "Dude, I needed you to shoot that shot because I needed one more <laughs> yep. chance for you to hit the." Yeah, it's funny like that. Welcome to gambling. And it's a dangerous game, like dangerous. I said. So were you in the Dallas Mavericks minus six camp against the Sacramento Kings last night where uh, Luka launches a 70-footer as the horn sounds and it goes in, but he gets it off like a tenth of a second late? Oh, man. No, I was not in that boat. I was in two different boats. I was on the Kings because Dallas is allergic to playing defense, but it's mostly first half. I had the Kings. They were red hot to start, and I, I got burned. I took them in the first quarter over and they missed like 13 of their last 15 shots of the quarter but I also had a a couple of half bets you know the first half their team total and they went ballistic in the second quarter that was it then I was at um the new Super Mario Brothers movie which was fantastic (laughs) by the way (laughs) it's great loved it went there last night highly recommended it's on the list I'm disappointed. It, it's, a, it's a deeper issue. Some members of my family went today. Didn't tell me. A little heartbroken. But really? Okay. That's what it is. Backstabber. Man, oh yeah, man. It's tough. But Call not you. I'm out. talking about your family. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm, I'm <laughs> or not, her. I'm, 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 I'm not going to call out my sister-in-law, Hannah, taking the, <laughs> taking the, taking the two little sons, Declan call and Brody, her out. And, and not telling me about it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be a better person. Isn't that great? Is that, like, <laughs> the kid in you doesn't completely grow up where she told you, like, oh, yeah, we went. And you're like, uh, what? <laughs> And I'm just learning about this? How did you not think about me? All right, coming up next, Jimmy and I, we compare notes over here. Why we are talking about the top three most interesting NFL teams 
And the bottom three least interesting NFL teams should be fun. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian. No, he's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Jimmy just watching his Tiger Woods money just go away. Go away. Oh, let's do a play. But 12th hole for birdie. <laughs> I don't think this is legal. But. It's not at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a uh, long putt for Bird. Oh. Just to the right. Didn't quite make it. Yeah. Has he gotten a birdie yet today? I don't believe so. Uh, no, no, he's gotten one because one? he was at one point plus three, and I think he's plus two right now. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's not. Uh, I mean, we could have got a little eagle and then a, and then a bogey. You're right. That's I'm being presumptuous there. He, he very well could have. Got an eagle. I don't think he got an eagle. Uh, but hey, uh, another one of the flyer bets that we took, uh, Xander Shoffley, uh, I'm at least getting more than the dollar payback that I was being offered for DraftKings oh, for really? gauging okay. my success that way. He's tied for fourth, so there you go. Oh, man, Shoffley, the guy, he's one of your guys, where he had that putt that just just sat there. Yep. Just on the cusp. That's rough. It almost looked like he he hit his club pretty close. It's <laughs> kind of nonchalant, kind of hit it about a foot away. Maybe, maybe the rumble would cause it to drop. I thought that was pretty funny. Okay, so Jimmy, we're looking at this where Hard Knocks, right? The HBO series Hard Knocks. So it's down to four teams. You might have heard this already: uh, Jets, Bears, Saints, Washington Commanders. So of those four, it's got to be the Jets. We're anticipating Aaron Rodgers is going to go there. I'd argue even if Aaron Rodgers doesn't go there, they'd be the most interesting of those four. But with Rodgers, it's a no-brainer. So I thought we would build off of that and take it in a bit of a different direction. I was thinking about this. If we were comparing lists, top three most interesting NFL teams, bottom three least interesting NFL teams. Now think of it this way. We're going to project a little bit because we're thinking about the upcoming NFL draft, trades that might happen, and you're thinking about the 2023 season. So, how are you viewing this? Who are the teams that, if they're featured in primetime games, you're really excited to see them, and you're excited to talk about them? If it's Sunday night football and it's the Chiefs and you're like, oh man, I can't wait to see that game or that matchup. Well, that would be a good candidate to be on the top. If it's the opposite, if you're like, oh gosh, they're going to be on primetime. Yuck. I'll watch because I'm a junkie, but I'm not excited about it. Okay. So we'll give you the first dibs here. Let's start with the top three most interesting teams, according to Jimmy Cook. This is not in a particular order, right? It's just the three I'm most excited. Particular order. The top three is, okay. Oh, all everything's okay. particular okay. here. Absolutely. All right. All right. So number three for me is the Buffalo Bills. Ooh, Bills, most interesting. I'm also book. taking the okay. Chiefs off the board for me because oh, I'm biased. That's not fair. It's not fair. It. That's not stop. fair. Because they're, they're, they're number one. You can put your... They should be number one. They, they will be number your, one. Okay. But, uh, but in the interest of fairness... That, no, 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 right. no, no, okay. no, no, no. No, it's right. no fairness. Well, I've revealed my hand then. I've revealed my hand of who's number one then. So the Bills are my number three. And the reason Buffalo is my number three is you had this whole self-coronation, media coronation crowning of Buffalo a year ago. And not only did they not make the Super Bowl, like a many, many pundits had them go last year, they got bounced in the divisional round 
at home to Cincinnati. When everybody talked about how great it would be to have a home game for Buffalo and just kind of put their stamp aggressively on everything, they would have had that neutral site game uh, in Atlanta, I think it was going to be, and who knows what happens there. They didn't. Okay. They come up short. It's a redemption arc. They're still electric. They still have Stephon Diggs. They still have Josh Allen. Anytime they come up on my television, they're must-see TV for okay, me at number three. All right. all right, so number three, you got Bills. Well, just give us your number two. Who's number two Number most two for me is the Miami Dolphins. Ooh, fins up. Let's go. There is a certain level of buy-in on Tua's health here with this prediction, but a healthy season from Tua plus the electricity that you saw as must-see NFL Sunday ticket action. I know it's not really Sunday ticket this year since it's on YouTube TV, but... In general, when you look at Tyreek Hill, when you look at Jalen Waddle and adding in Jalen Ramsey on the defensive side, they're going to be electric. Fins up for me. They're my number two team. Nice. I like that. Uh, we got to get this out there. All right, Miami. <laughs> Late Jim Mandich. You know, this is because uh, I'm a Dolphins geek over here. This is what I used to do on my show from over the years. I would have random Dolphin players on the show and I'd ask them to recreate that. So this is actually Mercury Morris I interviewed one time. All right, Miami. That's pretty good. <laughs> There's a safety Yeremiah Bell. He recreated it. All right, Miami. <laughs> I think he stuck the landing there. This is my favorite one. So I was in uh, Albany, New York. So Syracuse basketball was kind of talked about in the area. And at the time, there was this uh, talk show host, Danny Parkins. He's now doing... Drive time afternoons in Chicago. Like, he's a big deal. But I I just randomly asked him to recreate the All Right Miami. Think about that. He's covering Syracuse basketball in New York, and some idiot talk show guy asks him to recreate All Right Miami, and he did it. Here it is. All Right Miami. <laughs> he, just went, he just went for it right there. Okay, all right, so I, I digress. So you've got the Finns at number two, most interesting teams in the NFL. Okay, I'll give you mine. Number one, it's the Chiefs. It's Mahomes, their defending champs, Andy Reid, the way they play offense. If they're featured on Sunday Night Football, you're going to be there, right? We all get it. Their credentials. Number two, I go Dallas Cowboys. Okay, it's not just a product on the field, which is compelling. Dak Prescott, Tony Pollard, C.D. Lamb. Like, How's it all going to work? They get Brandon Cooks. It's just the whole thing. It's an ongoing soap opera. You've got Jerry Jones. There's always some drama or some storyline or something that's interesting to talk about. I still have them number two. Number three, close with the Finns. Couldn't quite shoe them in there. Jets. The Jets with Aaron Rodgers. It's just a matter of time. He's going to get traded there. When Aaron Rodgers is with the Jets, ask yourself this. If the Jets are featured on Sunday Night Football, are you more interested to watch that or are you more interested to watch Tua Tungavailoa try to remain upright and the Dolphins, who are high-flying offense and all that? Very interesting watch. But I would put something new ahead of that with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. I like it. Uh, and, and, and the Jets were on my short list. They're probably at number four. Uh, it's hard to not crown them as immediate contenders to make it to the Super Bowl next year once that Aaron Rodgers deal comes complete. Uh, Robert Sala has another just talented defense that's going to be there. A lot of young pieces on that side of the ball. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the Jets as well. I like that list. Okay. All right. So if we do the bottom three least interesting teams. Okay. So start with your third one. Think about this. So, so we're talking like 
30th in the NFL. Let's work our way down, like 30th, 31st, and then dead last. So give me, like, the 30th team, like third least. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. it does. Okay, so third least for me is the New Orleans Saints. Okay. I understand that everybody in New Orleans is still praying that maybe this is the year that Michael Thomas puts together a healthy campaign and is able to get back to even half of what he was at the height of his powers in, in the in the late 2010s. I get all that. Derek Carr doesn't move the needle at all for me. Really, you could take the entire NFC South, honestly, and make that my list. I'm not going to, but in particular, we start with the Saints as the 30th team, the the third uh, least watchable of yeah. my top three here. Okay, all right. What do you have at two? Number two for me is the Washington Commanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not on the uh, Sam Howell keys to the car train. Um, it's probably going to end up with Jacoby getting the nod at some point in time. Jacoby's a serviceable backup. Uh, there, there's nothing there in Washington outside of Terry McLaurin uh, that, that really interests me enough where if they're on the tube, I got to stay there. So it's the Washington Commanders. Okay, and the least interesting team... According to Jimmy Cook in the NFL, who is it? The least interesting team to me is the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, wow. Okay, wait. So, shake up city. You're expecting Lamar not to be there? I think that Lamar takes the route that he should not take. And that is, I think he holds out. I think he goes the way of Le'Veon Bell. He rolls the dice. He does not play next year. And if you take him off of that team, there is nothing that even remotely comes close to moving the needle for me out in Baltimore. And even when he's there... I mean, look, he's still electric. I'll still watch. They they get bumped out of my least three. But without him in this scenario, as I'm forecasting out, they would be the least watchable team for me next wow, year. Wow, very interesting. Well, if he does go Le'Veon Bell, I get your argument because you would just look at them for what they're lacking, right? It, the whole thing would be like, Lamar isn't playing. Lamar isn't playing. Lamar's still holding out. Lamar's not going to play. And it's like... They have zero juice. So, yeah, if that happens, I have a hard time believing he's going to give up literally millions of dollars every game he misses. I just, I don't see that happening. But we'll see. We'll see. I'll go like this. Okay, so my least interesting teams in the NFL. So, number three on the list. Think about this as like in 30th place in the entire league. Yep. I would put the Tennessee Titans. I put the Tennessee Titans there. It's close in the AFC South. You talk about the NFC South, I go AFC South. The Colts right now, boring. Snooze fest. I'm just being honest. They don't have juice. You know, they had Shaq Leonard was hurt most of the year. Uh, Jonathan Taylor wasn't his electric self. The offensive line regressed. The quarterback play stunk, right? Like, not a good watch. But... With them getting a rookie quarterback, that props them up a little bit. Same thing with Houston. Them most likely getting a rookie quarterback, that adds some intrigue. With the Titans, you get Tannehill running it back. You got Derrick Henry, who's more injury-prone now. And you've got a defense that's regressed. They just they don't play an entertaining style. They just I don't think they have much juice. I'd put the Titans up there. Uh, number two, my least interesting teams, the Arizona Cardinals. Ooh. Without Kyler Murray for most of the year, they just they don't have any juice at all. Are you excited? If like think about this, D hops out the door. Like they they're gonna move him. So yeah, you're yeah. right. What's there? D hops out. 
if uh, the if the uh, Cardinals are featured, let's say in the first eight weeks in prime time, what's the sales pitch? Come watch Colt McCoy and the new defensive rookie. Like that's not sexy. I put I put Arizona number two with Kyler Murray out for extensive time. Number one, close to yours, Jimmy, the Washington Commanders. That is the least interesting team in the NFL right now. The best thing you got is Eric Bieniemy is an assistant coach there. I'm not watching because of your assistant coaches, okay? He's not my friend. He's my Bieniemy. Yeah, Eric's sleeping with Bieniemy is. <laughs> uh, yeah, as Boomer used to call yeah, him. Exactly. But, but it's like they don't have juice on the field. I love Terry McLaurin. Don't get me wrong; they have some good players. But Sam Howell as your quarterback. He's QB1 right now. The Daniel Snyder thing, I couldn't be more tired of. So, yeah, it's Washington. They are the least interesting team in the NFL right now. There were other teams I could have included. Um, For instance, they were very close to being on the list is the Green Bay Packers. The only reason that they're not is because they're the Packers and the Jordan Love scenario is still intriguing for me to see play out. Mm -hmm. But if they have an awful season next year, just for the sake of argument, let's say Love is horrendous and maybe it wouldn't be all his fault because they don't exactly have like a a Oscar-worthy cast of top-tier weapons around him right now, save Aaron Jones um, and uh, A.J. Dillon. Christian Watson and uh, Chris Watson did come on Romeo last year. That's disrespectful for me, but uh, again, I'm not. I'm not saying like all pro yet. I need to see it again from them, right? I need one more season from those weapons before I'm ready to say top tier Jordan Love should be excelling at a rate better than Aaron Rodgers did last year, which wasn't great. Yeah, kind of like you, just uh, not quite on the list, but in the running. I had the Raiders in the running. I couldn't get them in the bottom three just because you've got. Devontae Adams, you've got Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro. Like yeah. you still have playmakers. I'm not interested to watch Jimmy G, but it's a storyline. You know, I can't put him in the three least interesting teams. And also Chicago. Like Justin Fields is fun to watch. And now you get him DJ more that's interesting. Maybe another wide receiver. So I can't put him in the bottom three. In terms of the good. A couple of teams that didn't make the list but close. The Chargers yes. are a fun watch. Yes, agreed. And they're so Jekyll and Hyde. They're so goofy. I think that's compelling. When you tune in, you're like, I don't know which team's going to show up tonight. We'll find out. And I do think the Bengals are a fun watch as well. Burrow and those receivers, Yes, they do play solid defense. The storyline of them being so close to winning a Super Bowl and getting to the AFC title game last season – the Bengals are on the very, very short list of most interesting teams. Uh, from my outside perspective here, I'm surprised you guys did not mention the San Francisco 49ers at all in terms of those top three. And then on the bottom part of this, how have the Atlanta Falcons not been oh, in the yeah. realm of this conversation? They were they were definitely in the running there. Absolutely, Eddie. But you, you know what? The thing about the Niners, and that's a good one to bring up, they'd have to at least be on the short list. Yes, if I can't get them in the top three, but they're on the short list. The weapons, we all know about Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Those guys are all fun to watch. The quarterback, little controversy, soap opera, Trey Lance, Brock Purdy, yada, yada. That is interesting as well. Defense, Nick Bosa, they have everything in terms of players. I think it's more of a quarterback thing. The Brock Purdy thing turned me off so much. That dude is absolute fugazi. Total fugazi. And I, I just mentioned that, like, he's throwing to a wide-open George Kittle. Like, yeah. am I supposed to be impressed by that? And the Purdy defenders, I'm telling you what, Jimmy Cook, they came after me. They came after me like some piranhas in the water. I'm like, okay, I, 
Okay, I guess I'm supposed to be impressed with him throwing to wide open receivers yeah. from time to time. That's not impressive at if, all. If you want to be in the camp of analyzing the 49ers and figure out why they weren't on my list or why they wouldn't have been on the most interesting list is when Lance went down and then Garoppolo went down and then Purdy's in there. What it basically told me is I know what's out there. They have one of the best offenses in the NFL. It runs like a finely tuned machine to the point that as long as you have some ability to throw the football and read defenses. Like, I'm not going to, like, totally bash Purdy, but yeah. I was much closer to the camp of you could throw um, just about any competent backup in the league into that system right now, and they would probably flourish. For instance, I made the joke a ton of times with Colts fans. You could put Sam Ellinger out there. Like, <laughs> he would probably be able to uh, get some Pro Bowl nods be in that better. offense. Yeah. Hey, man, if we flip-flopped a couple of quarterbacks, we've done this like Bryce Young, Will Levis. Like, if you put Brock Purdy with the Atlanta Falcons – much different. Now, I'm not saying they don't have anybody with Drake London. Right? Sure. They got the stud tight end with Kyle Pitts over there. I'm not saying they don't have anybody, but they don't have what the Niners no. have. If you put Desmond Ritter over there with San Fran, his numbers look a lot better. Brock Purdy's numbers with Atlanta, not as good. Not as good right there. All right, coming up next, there's a quarterback that's being shopped here, uh, Jimmy. Being shopped. If the Colts don't go rookie, you have any interest in this guy? Not named Lamar Jackson. Some details on that around the corner. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Uh, you got a, a returned bet over here, huh, Jimmy? Huh? You didn't lose out on which guy now? I did. So I, I've been a big fan for whatever reason since he came on tour of, of Will Zalatoris and I've always placed whenever there's a major I'll sprinkle something on him uh, has three runner-up finishes to his young career to this point regrettably we'll have no chance to do it today uh, with draws from the Masters but before his first round started so the five bet wager that I placed on him returned to me returned return bet is better than a lost bet Jimmy yep it words is. to live by right there now uh, Colts Okay. Money returned is better than money lost. That's exactly <laughs> right. A wise old word. Yep. You know, that's uh, words to live by right there. Yep. Um, so the Colts, we're assuming they're going to take a rookie quarterback. Sure. But let's just say they don't. Let's say they don't. Let's say uh, behind door number two, not just the Lamar Jackson situation, there are reports that one Mac Jones, Patriots quarterback, has been shopped by Bill Belichick. Absolutely not. That was a quick no. Absolutely not. No, now, here you. are the teams that reportedly he's been shopped to. The Raiders, the Texans, Tampa, and the Washington Commanders. That's pretty rough for Mac Jones if the Commanders are like, nah, we're good with Sam Howell. Let's just see how <laughs> Sammy does. That's pretty rough. But um, the, the talk is that there's reported tension between Mac Jones and Bill Belichick. Belichick hasn't committed to him being QB1. He's refused to do so, and Mac is hot about it. Now, this is Robert Kraft, Patriots team owner. He told reporters, I'm a big fan of Mac. He came to us as a rookie. He quarterbacked in his rookie season and did a very fine job, I thought. We made the playoffs. I think we experimented with some things last year that, frankly, didn't work when it came to him, in my opinion. Now, that's correct. Some of these quote-unquote 
experiments like, oh, let's have the former defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia, just call plays. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe they ever did that. So I know most of the league would be hard pass Mac Jones. But as Robert Kraft said, rookie season, 22 touchdowns, 13 picks, healthy passer rating around 92. That's pretty good. Pretty good for well, who are their weapons exactly? Huh? Is that like they're just dripping with weapons over there? oozing with weapons in Foxborough land, and then last year took a big step back. But you just hard pass. Shoot yeah, it down. You, no thank you. Not interested. Yeah, Mac Jones is about five shells below Kirk Cousins for me in terms of like quarterbacks that wow. I'd want on my roster. Like where, where I shells. Where I can find optimism for, where I'd want to at some point pay a big money contract to. Um, I will say, though, like in, in his defense – to your point, like the Washington stuff, big yikes there because I feel like he could probably compete if not take that starting job in Washington. It's not saying much, but it, it should be noted for him there. Um, I, yeah, I'm not interested in building around him. Uh, that is the danger of taking QBs in the draft. It doesn't always pan out. And to this point, regardless of the chaos in New England, if Bailey Zappi's ever flirting with taking your job, uh, that's all I need to see. This will sound like the dumbest statement ever. Okay. But it's a little bit better than completely stupid. It's okay. This, okay. this is coming from, uh, <laughs> I, I, I jest slightly here, but this is from the same man that brought you the 2021 Carson Wentz season was the most underrated in NFL history. Oh, it is. And the floor is yours. It is. It is. But don't <laughs> screw up my vibe over here. It is. You guys just failed to see it. But yes, yep. sometimes it's hard to see before you actually see it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not telling you Mac Jones is Josh Allen. I'm not telling you that, but we didn't think Josh Allen was Josh Allen two years into his NFL career. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, I'm not saying that Mac Jones is Josh Allen, but when we saw Josh Allen stink it up for the first two years, largely bad completion percentage, inaccurate. He didn't seem to be a star in the making at all. And then something happened. Some of it was getting Stephon Diggs. That helped. Could that not help? Mac Jones, imagine if he had a Stephon Diggs-type wideout to throw to. That'd make a world of difference. So the point I'm making is this. I'm not telling you that Mac Jones is some diamond in the rough. I am telling you that two years in, you probably shouldn't have your mind completely made up. Just not you, Jimmy, just anybody in general. right? I've made my mind up, but you're right. They should. Okay. Smarter people than I. Yes. Yes. When you put a Cadillac... In terms of a wide receiver around a quarterback, it's amazing how much better they look. Wholeheartedly, and and I'm going to support an argument that you have made against C.J. Stroud and against um, Bryce Young in this, in that you look at Mac Jones, he is a prime example of detractors of Stroud and Young, of all the weapons in college, then doesn't have the weapons in the NFL, severely struggles, where's the middle ground for him? I mean, it's a fair argument to say he hasn't had top-shelf weapons in New England, but... Uh, there's also times where you talk about not being able to see things. I've, I've seen that from Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. And when he will see the light, I don't know. Maybe he never will. Yeah, hard pass. Five shells yeah, I'm good. behind. Put it this way. Let, let's do a little flip-flop. Let's put Kirk Cousins with the Patriots and the law firm of Jacoby and Myers and like second-rate receivers to throw to. Think about Kirk's numbers. Put Mac Jones with Justin Jefferson. He looks a lot better, guaranteed, right? And, and, and to clarify quickly, to because uh, I know we're up against it, but uh, I don't agree with paying the money Kirk Cousins is getting. I think Mac Jones would look better enough to get money that I don't think he deserves, which is kind of what Kirk Cousins' contract is now in my mind. 
Hmm, interesting. All right, coming up next, Todd Blackledge, NBC Sports, calling some college football over there for that network. We'll talk some ball with him around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Pleased to welcome in Todd Blackledge, NBC Sports. Be calling the Big Ten action come this fall. Very much looking forward to that. Are you looking forward to not just the fall, Todd, the here and now, the Masters? Are you a golf guy at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't play as much as I used to, but uh... – but I do like to play and, of course, love watching the Masters. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that. What's the best course you've played, Todd? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, let's see. Uh, you know, I really liked – one of the ones I really liked was uh, was Laurel Valley in Pennsylvania. I was an old Arnold Palmer uh, kind of w- where he grew up in that area, and uh, that, that was – Probably one of my favorite places I've ever played at. Uh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just had – I, I tend to have stupid questions popping into my head here, Todd, so if you just bear with me here. But, you know, right. when you used to do – it was called Taste of the Town, wasn't it? Right, you do, right. Yeah. Yep. And some of those things were, were high in calories that you were eating, Todd. Delicious. Right, but right. I'm just wondering in the off season. Is it just like nothing but healthy stuff, greens and kale, so you can get ready for the fall and that type of stuff? Well, you know, it's really more like that the rest of the week. I mean, I don't eat like that every day uh, in the fall either. So uh, we did feature some places and some dishes that, uh, you know, you're not going to want to eat like that on a regular basis. But uh, every once in a while, it's pretty special. So. So, yeah, I try to balance it out. That Between that and exercise, I try to balance it out pretty well. Todd Blackwood's taking some time with us, about to begin his 30th season as a network college football analyst. Of course, national championship winning quarterback at Penn State in 1982. Big Ten, a big spot in your heart, Todd. How much are you looking forward to Big Ten Saturday night on NBC and Peacock this fall? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a... You know, I've been at ESPN for a long time, 17 years, uh, the last 17 years, and, and enjoyed my time there. And But I'm looking forward to the new challenge and the new opportunity with NBC and, and uh, their new deal with the Big Ten. And so, uh, you know, I've had, had an opportunity to do a lot of primetime games at ESPN, and that's my favorite window to do a game is in primetime. And just I love the look and the feel of it. Uh, at night uh, in, in some of these big stadiums that we'll be in. And, and then also, you know, I like being able to watch games during the day and kind of being the last show that comes on at night. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun for me. So very much looking forward to it. In fact, I'm kind of getting my juices flowing a little bit. Uh, I'm taking a little trip here uh, this week and, and visiting the three Big Ten West teams that have uh, new head coaches this year. So I was at Purdue uh, – on Tuesday, and I just finished watching Nebraska practice here this morning, and and Matt Rule, and and I'll go see Luke Fickle in Wisconsin on Saturday. So uh, looking forward to uh, to finishing this trip as well. Very cool. What were your impressions of Purdue on that trip? Yeah, you know, uh, I think that it, it's interesting because I think that uh, you know when you look at all three of these teams, um, you know the the not only new coaches but the you know, the impact of the transfer portal and particularly at the quarterback position, um, you know, that's that that's evident in all three places, right? I mean, so Hudson Card uh, is a guy that, that 
you know, was was a good player at, at Texas, and uh, and they're very high on him at, at Purdue. You know, Graham Harrell is the, the the offensive coordinator, is a young, you know, energetic coach himself. Ryan Walters, you know, I think 37 years old. The, the staff has a lot of energy. It was a fun practice. Um and, you know, and I think that they feel like they're going to be pretty good. And, you know, they were the Big Ten West champions a year ago, so it wasn't like he was stepping into a total rebuild situation. But uh, but I like the, the, the vibe that I felt there, and then I felt the same way at Nebraska today. Uh, and I've known Matt for a long time, and, you know, he's got a pretty good track record at, at rebuilding and doing some things at the college level, both at Temple and Baylor. And uh, and I think he I think he will be a good fit here as well uh, in Lincoln. Todd, the the wild wild west of NIL and and transfer portal action and just your normal yeah. standard traditional recruiting has meshed into new heights of, of stress for for coaches across college football as, as they've continued to get more familiarized or more used to this this new element that's in place in college athletics what have been the biggest thoughts or, or takeaways shared from those coaching staffs you've interacted with in the big 10 yeah i mean it's uh you know there's still so many questions about the nil because there's no official oversight you right. know so i think we're, we're still trying to figure it out and and what are the rules everybody's playing by and you know, I mean, these these collectives, they're not technically part of the university. And so, you know, how, how it all fits, I think everybody is still trying to figure it out and, and what fits on your particular campus and uh, with what you're able to do. So, uh, you know, people are learning as they go right now. And I think, uh, you know, it's interesting talking to a guy like Ryan Walters, who's a young coach and this is his first head coaching job. And so, I mean, this is all new to college football, but maybe not as, you know, earth shattering or, or earth changing, uh, you know, for a guy like him and his first job is maybe a guy who's like a Kirk Ferentz, who's been in place for a long time, who's having to adjust to all the changes, you know, uh, uh, that's coming on in college football. And certainly NIL and the transfer portal have, have created more change uh, in college football in the last couple of years than in, you know, the previous 27, 28 that I've been covering the sport. So, um, you know, and, and with all things that change, uh, even some of it that I think is really good, but there's always unintended negative consequences that result from it as well. And, and just kind of finding your way through that is, is, is important too. But I think, as much as anything, these coaches uh, and you know Matt Rule came from the NFL with his after a short stint with Carolina. But you almost have to have an NFL model in terms of your staff now because you have to have like a GM and somebody that is paying attention to the transfer portal because it changes constantly and and helping to manage your roster and then uh, you know the the whole thing with however you're dealing with the NIL and how you're going to distribute things uh, among your team and, and how that's going to work. So it's, it's, it's a very different ball game these days. That's for sure. He's Todd Blackledge from NBC sports joining us here on the fan. You know, Todd, I thought it was interesting what happened in college basketball with the final four. It wasn't the big name schools, three of the four schools. That was their first ever trip to the final four in school history. Right. And so if you apply that to college football, for this upcoming season, which would you sign up for? Would you sign up for 
the big names, the usual suspects, where you get Georgia and Bama and Ohio State, or would you like for one year it to resemble college basketball where you get three or four schools that have never been to the college football playoff before, just shake up city? Where did these guys come from? Yeah, I think it's – I mean, it was interesting, obviously, uh, with, with the Final Four and the fact that, you know, no number one seed was there and there was a lot of teams that, you know, hadn't been in that territory. I think it's easier to do it's, – it's not easy to do, but it's easier to do in basketball certainly than in football um, because you have fewer guys on the roster, fewer guys on the floor. At the same time, you get a couple guys that get hot and are playing great and you can compete, you know, in football – um, it's a little tougher, you know, with 11-on-11 11 11 and the physicality of the game and, and going through the course of the season. Um, but, it, you know, we have seen in the last two years, uh, you know, Michigan was in the playoffs back-to-back years, but two years ago that was the first time they had been in and they were a new team and they were unranked when the preseason polls came out. And the same thing was true with TCU this past year. And we had Cincinnati uh, also make it. So we've, we've seen a little bit of newness in the college football playoff and, and which I think is great. And I think as it expands here uh, in the future, it's going to uh, open up maybe some uh, even more opportunities. Yeah. Todd, you led right into my next question. Is there going to be any weirdness or strangeness with this being the last season that it's going to be a four-team playoff or is it just it kind of going to be the the same old routine that we're used to of still the drama towards that selection period and obviously the announcements of who's in the top four and the top six will there be anything different this year with it being the last four-team edition of the cfp i don't think so I, you know and really quite honestly i think the system has worked pretty well you know uh over the course of, of however long we've had it, um, you know, I think that I think that the committee has done an excellent job. I think the process has worked. I think that we've gotten the you know the most deserving teams in, and uh, you know we haven't you know this past year's championship game was was not a very good game or a competitive game, but the two semifinal games, which we have not had as many competitive semifinal games, but the two this year were fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so I think I think one more year of it will be kind of business as usual, and then and then we'll see what happens after that. Hey, Todd, what do you think about a a Penn State transfer, Will Levis? It might be the Colts' top draft pick here when the draft rolls around. What do you make of uh, Will Levis, uh, who once started at, at Penn State, transferred to Kentucky? Yeah. What do you think about him in the NFL once he gets there? You know, I think that, that he is a guy with a lot of upside. I mean, he's obviously a big, physical, athletic kid. In fact, when he was at Penn State, even though he wasn't playing a lot of quarterback, you know, backing up Trace McSorley, he was they were using him in different ways, you know, whether it's as a running back or a shotgun wildcat quarterback or a tight end. And, and uh, they were kind of getting him on the field because of his athleticism. And I think now that he, you know, when he went to Kentucky, uh, he prospered and flourished really well under Liam Cohen for one year as his offensive coordinator. And, and you could see the arm talent and, and just the, the, the raw talent that he has in throwing the football. So I, I think he's a guy with a lot of upside. It's, it's interesting as I look at the quarterbacks in the draft this year, you know, I think he and Anthony Richardson are similar, the kid out of Florida, in that they are very raw, just super talented guys, great arm talent, 
um, but not as polished in terms of playing the position, you know, and, and the decision-making that goes with the position. And I think, you know, in the right situation and the right coaching, they both have a chance, you know, to be really fine players. Whereas, you know, you have JT uh, Stroud and you have Bryce Young, who are a little bit more polished. Uh, they, they've been more productive in, in you know, particularly with Alabama, more of a pro-style offense. Um, maybe you would say those two are a little bit more NFL ready, but but certainly the athleticism of, of those other guys, Levis and, and Richardson, is kind of jumps off the charts. So it, it's it's kind of going to be interesting to see, you know, just how teams uh, sort their way through that. Todd Black of NBC Sports, nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. Todd, when you look at Anthony Richardson, uh, the biggest criticism, the biggest point towards him is his inaccuracy at times. I guess it's kind of a two-part question. How hard is that to fix, and how hard is that as a quarterback prospect to hear it and, and, and accept the critiques and the criticism and want to get better? Well, I think to answer your second question, I mean, it you know, a quarterback has to be able to take that because, you know, at the NFL, you cannot exist if you're, if you're an inaccurate and inconsistent thrower. I mean, the game is you have to be an efficient thrower. Now, you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to be a 75% completion guy, but you have to be an accurate thrower and you have to be able to throw on time and, and have good balance and those kind of things. You know, I, one of the examples that I see of a guy who maybe wasn't the most consistent, accurate thrower when I saw him in college, uh, but has really developed and grown uh, is Jalen Hurts. You know, he's the perfect example of a guy who early on in his college career was maybe not, didn't look like a, an NFL passer, but he certainly has become an NFL passer and their offense fits him. And, and he still has a, the ability to use his athleticism and the other skill sets that he brings to the Eagles offense. So I think for, for a guy like Anthony Richardson, certainly, again, that's kind of what I mean. There's, there's a lot of upside and there's a lot of coaching that still can be done with him and Will Levis to bring them to a new level. And part of that level is being a more consistent and accurate passer because you have to be that in the NFL. Hey, lastly, Todd, um, when you're doing the taste of the town thing, did you ever, I know you wouldn't show it on, on camera cause you're a nice dude, yeah. but you ever eat anything and you're like, Oh, never again. That was not the best thing. <laughs> no, no, I never did. And the reason I never did is because I never went and featured a place that I didn't already go to either the day before or had been there on a previous trip. So, so I never, you know, I never went into a place blind and said, gosh, I hope I like it. I mean, I, you know, and that's why I say I don't eat like that all the time because normally I would double dip on a weekend, you know, go try it out on Thursday and then film it on Friday. So, uh, uh, so no, I never, I never was in that situation. Awesome. Well, hey, man, we enjoyed talking with you, Todd. Thanks for the time, man. Have a good day. Thanks, Todd. Thanks. You got it. Take care, guys. You too. There he is, Todd Blackledge, NBC Sports. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, I forgot to ask, but um. You know, I wonder if they do any like practice games. He'll be matched up with uh, Noah Eagle. So I wonder if they'll do like a, a practice game uh, before the season starts or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine whether it is something that's televised, whether it is like a simulated like like a spring game or, or, or something like that. Like I, I would imagine there there is some level that goes into just a dress rehearsal. 
Um, I mean, I, I know that like at a lot of different levels that, that, that is done when you're trying to mash together uh, a crew on the fly or a crew for a new property, particularly as, as talented, uh, as the big 10 conference offers. But yeah, I mean, uh, Catherine Tappan and Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge for a slate of the best conference in football, arguably, I mean, it, it's going to be a fun watch throughout the college football season and, NBC, I think, did right uh, grabbing someone as experienced. Todd getting his 30th season about to get underway here in the fall. Man, he sampled a lot of food. Yes. If he's right. gone to all those places beforehand, that's, that's a lot going on let's right do, Let's do the, the, the two stops per visit multiplied by 30. Yeah, that's a lot of food. It's a lot of food that's been, been consumed. No need, no need about that. A lot of food. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. By the way, uh, speaking of Noah, Noah Eagle, I thought this was exceptional what he did. So he's doing a play-by-play for the Clippers. Yep. And so I was in L.A. a couple of weeks ago. There was a sports radio conference, and uh, I happened to be there for a few days, and I caught a little bit of the Clippers game that he was calling and instead of just saying the three officials for that night just like all right we got this guy we got that guy we got that guy he gave two or three fun facts with each official wow I thought it was such a great thing that he did I can't remember everything that he said because there was a lot of information coming at you at once but it was just random things where he was like and uh official so-and-so his favorite app is actually the bible app (laughs) <laughs> and it was like, wow, that's amazing. But it's just, it was really smart. So Noah does that. He's a really yep. good broadcaster as a young guy. Really, really good and does things just a little bit differently, adds a little flavor. So I think he and Todd are going to do a really good job on NBC. Yeah, his rise has been fascinating to watch uh, from his time with the Clippers still ongoing to the Nickelodeon cast to being on the Vikings Colts game last year and then the historic moment that, you know, one of many likely for him in his career that's going to be in the echelon of whatever sport is his assignment for that day. So it's been fun to watch and it's going to be must see TV in general with that crew, not to mention the product that's going to be on hand with the big 10 conference. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to that, man. What would you sign up for Jimmy? I would take shakeup city in the college football playoff. If we could make the college football playoff resemble what we saw in the final four of college basketball, I would sign up for that immediately. We've belly ached for a long time. I've been leading the belly aching charge of, Good Lord, we get Georgia, Bama, Ohio State again. It's the ninth iteration of it. You know what I mean? Like, I would love to see these three teams that we never saw coming. It's a completely different sport, and it's not going to happen. But if given the option, I would sign up for that all day. The door has been opened for a little bit more wiggle room in terms of what you'll see once the expansion happens next year. But to use the Final Four as an example, and I know Miami's a bad one because they're Miami in football, they're the U, like that's a prestigious program, but you're more likely to see Power Fives that, wow, I, I didn't know this program was rising the way they are. You're more likely to see a surprise story out of the Power Five than you are like a, a an FAU, for example. I mean, obviously that's a, another bad one because there's not a prestigious football program down there at FAU. But you get what I mean. You're more yeah. likely to see Power 5 stories of creativity with NIL and the transfer portal when things expand to 12 teams. So I think you'll get that to an extent. But yeah, it'll never be at the level that it is with March Madness. Well, and the thing, too, is with college football, I, look, I think the conversation when they expand it to 12 teams in the playoff, 
the conversation has largely largely been like, who cares? These lower teams still aren't going to win a championship. And I believe that. I think that's mostly true. But it's not only about that. Yeah. It's about, hey, first round, is there going to be a big upset? Is there going to be a team that was a true title contender that gets beaten? Like, that happens all the time in college football. We have big road upsets, right? Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about neutral sites in the second round, and yeah, you could absolutely have some big upsets. I don't think that a team like UCF or somewhere along those lines, they're going to win a national championship. you got to win four games in a row. Good luck. But I just don't like the conversation only revolving around that. As if it's not going to be much different. It's going to be a lot different than just four teams. You're going to have some upsets, even though those Cinderella teams don't win championships. It's what we just saw in college basketball. Yes. Right? We just had Florida Atlantic and, whoa, look at these guys. Yeah, and they were done. <laughs> you know what I mean? They didn't win a championship. So, like, we don't look at it like that in college football, and I think we should. Yeah, it, it's always bugged me. Like, ever since the BCS was around, like, even, even as, as a high school student and, and a grade school student, like, consuming college football, I always wanted, wait, why, why don't we have more teams involved in this thing? Why is it just, oh, these two were in it? And then you get pushed back all the time. Oh, well, it would never work. The games would be competitive. Now you're here to the four-team playoff. And there's still been, you know, your Alabama's still run buckshot across everything, and they've been uh, the dominant power. But there's been some others sprinkled in there as well to raise it all. Georgia, Ohio State, obviously Georgia did it twice. The idea of pushback of, oh, well, these games will be competitive and, you know, these uh, seven, eight, nine, ten teams, like they, they have no chance of winning. Okay, that's fine. You're going to make yeah. more money from this. Pocket the money and let's just see what happens. Let, yeah. Let's play the games and see how the chips fall. And I'm hopeful, again, it's never going to reach the level of chaos and just overall euphoria that March Madness brings. But if we even get one of those like 7 to 12 range of seeded teams make it to a national championship game or make it to a college football semifinal, it'll have all been worth it for me. Well, that's the thing is, how lame would it have been if all you heard about with Florida Atlantic was, they're not going to win the, the championship. Yes. Yeah. They're not going to win it all. Like, that's what you hear in college mm-hmm. football. And it's like, that's not all there is to talk about. It just would have been lame if oh, Florida Atlantic made the Final Four. Who cares? They're not going to win it all. They're not going to win two more games. They're not going to win it all. <laughs> That's all it is in college football. Yeah. It's crazy to me. By the way, I, I took the plunge here, Jimmy. Uh-oh. I'm live betting the Masters. Yes. So here's the thing. I you went didn't bet Will Zalatoris, did you? <laughs> no, I didn't. I went with a grouped hole winner. Okay? So holes 13 through 15. Here's my thought process. Okay. Victor Hovland is crushing it right now. He's leading this whole thing. He's minus seven. And so he's matched up with Tiger, who, what, has one birdie today? Is that what we have? <laughs> and Xander Shoffley. So I'm like, all right, it's basically Hovland versus Shoff, right? And so Shoffley, he, uh, he had one birdie uh, on 14. He parred 13, okay? So he's minus one. Then this grouping of holes 13 through 15. Who wins this three-hole race, sure. if you will, okay? So, Shoffley's minus one. My man Vic Hovland is minus one, heading into 15. What happens, T-Shot, Vic? Four! Like, way <laughs> off into the woods, not even close. So, I'm trying to avoid a birdie as uh, Shoffley's approach is pretty nice. He's actually got a long putt yeah, just for Eagle. The yep. Yeah, but he can two-putt for a birdie, so... 
Not looking great. Not looking great for uh, Vic Hovland as he totally screwed up his tee shot on 15. Yeah, again, it's the thrill and the risk reward of the group plays and of the like hole by hole betting. Um, <laughs> look, I've I, I barely scraped by a tie because that that's ultimately at some point in time, if you're watching it that closely, you're doing the math in your head. You're rooting for that push like, OK, we had our fun. Give my money back, please. Let's learn. Let's learn from this and let's go on. And then. Uh, Shoffley just rips your heart out. Like that's well, how it goes sometimes. What do you think? Good suggestion, bad suggestion. We need a stage name for either Schefter or Shoffley. It's too close. It's too close. I look at the leaderboard or I look at the screen, the graphic, and I'm like, oh, here's the guy. And oh no, it's the other guy. You know what I mean? We need to rename these guys. What do you think? <laughs> at least one of them. I I don't know. I've, that's now that you say it, it's probably going to be in my head forever. But I've never had an issue with Scheffler and Shoffley until now. Because um, the, the usually, if you're looking online, you got the nice uh, the uh, separation by their first names. So it, yeah. it, it has X Shoffley in front of there. It has uh, S Scheffler there. We so. did we did stage name or real name yeah, recently. We did. Um, instead of Xander Shoffley, Whoopi Goldberg. What do you think? We can tell them apart. No problem. Very easy. Now, this is it. This is my money on the line. Vic Hovland, his third shot after he screwed up his tee shot. Got to have a great approach. Got to stick this, Jimmy. All right, it's in the air, and it is uh, It's pretty far away. That's pretty far. That's going to be a hard putt for birdie. I think that putt for birdie is my money on the line right there, Jimmy. It's not quite as far as uh, as the previous uh, shot uh, mm. by uh was it Shoffley that you said took that? I'm sorry. I, yeah, Xander yeah, Shoffley. Yeah, so so not quite as far away, but yeah, you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be crossing your fingers there yeah. on that birdie putt, no Vic. doubt. Vic, why why on 15 <laughs> with the errant tee shot? Terrible timing. I did I did a two and one, so I did a 15. I did sorry 13 through 15 those group tolls, and also 16 through 18. Okay, so I've got old Vic Hovland at plus 155 for the final three holes. So even if he screws this up, we could still come out slightly ahead. Slightly ahead. I'm really curious to see, and obviously only gamblers or golf fans care about this, but I'm really curious to see <laughs> how the money and the juice moves overnight because you have Victor Hovland in front right now um, flirting with, I don't know how close it is because it, you know my math's not great and they didn't give me the answers on the tweet, but they were putting up things about 18-hole record at Augusta. So, like, at least he's in the conversation for that, the way he's playing right now, or at least that was an hour ago, minus 7 through 14, so maybe he's off the pace for that. But he was not one of the three or four front-running betting favorites to this point. How many people will say, ah, that was just a bad round for Scotty Scheffler. Ah, I like where Xander Shoffley is. Where's the money going to go overnight is what I'm really fascinated by. Yeah, we'll see how it goes, man. I, I'm just concerned about Hovland winning this group <laughs> 13 through 15. That's, that's where I'm at. All right, coming up next, is this the truth or is it a tactic? I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Hope you're having a pleasant day. Wow, Tiger with a birdie. Let's what go. Is, his second of the day. What is he inching toward even? What, where's he at right Hey, now? look, right now, expectations have been reset. The $5 bet we place to win are, are, uh, is, is collecting cobwebs right now. We're rolling... We are rooting for a cut right now. We are rooting to make the cut. Oh, man. That's wow. where we're at. I know. That's a drastic flip, but you need to... 
Brian, hear me out. Hear me out. Okay, to, right. to, to, to have a yogiism here, you need to make the cut to win the green jacket, okay? I mean, that's just right. it is what it is. You got to start somewhere. I, uh, you know what? <laughs> Can't start a fire without a spark. Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> Was that? Uh, it was, was getting that late Billy early. Joel? It was Billy Joel, right? Billy Joel or Billy Idol? I mix them up. See again, we need other stage names. Too close. Too, got two Billies over here. How am I supposed to keep them? Keep them straight, right? What are they asking of us? Come on now. Four letters in the last name. <laughs> how, how am I supposed to keep this straight? Okay, so the Ravens. The Ravens are negotiating with Lamar Jackson, and they're not just negotiating behind closed doors. Some would argue they're negotiating. In front of millions, right? In front of the TV cameras, the microphones, all of that. So they had a draft luncheon yesterday. And this is the GM of the Ravens, Eric DaCosta. We bring all of this up because there's a ripple effect potentially with the Colts. If Lamar doesn't go back with the Ravens, well, where are they going to go? Chris Ballard has said, yeah, we're going to do our due diligence. He's a special player. All of that good stuff. So here's where it stands with Lamar and the Ravens. This is the first little statement of, hey, everybody, no Lamar questions, all right? This is the GM, Eric DaCosta. Yeah, so those are, you know, I understand the need to ask those kind of questions. Uh, I think just out of respect for the process, this is a draft luncheon, and we're going to try to keep uh, as much of this discussion as we can to the draft. (laughs) They had their PR guy at one time, Jimmy. Someone asked something connected to Lamar. And the PR guy is like, whoa, 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 Bob, 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 whoa, 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 this Lamar talk over here. They don't even want to talk Lamar right now. So a couple things. First off, I don't envy the job of the PR guy because they see both lens. They see the lens of the team. They also see the lens of who's asking the questions. Like it, it, I get it. They're also trying to do their job. But at the same time, if you're Ravens ownership or Ravens front office executives, and you're going to have an event open to the public, and oh, by the way, maybe the most electric offensive player in the history of your franchise mm-hmm. is up in contract limbo Yeah, for the whole world to see. You, you didn't anticipate questions being asked? Well, hey, I can appreciate them <laughs> wanting it to be focused on the draft. That's yeah, that's fine. a shield. But, but it's really, a shield. It is, it is, but... You're the media guy asking a question. Sure. How do you ask a question about them drafting a quarterback potentially not connected to Lamar whatsoever? How do you do that? That's not easy to do, I right? Got, like I got it. Right, hey, guys, uh, what do you think about Hendon Hooker? And you just leave it there? No, no, nothing you, about Lamar? You're not saying Lamar's name directly. And if they come at you with this question and say, oh, you're asking about Lamar? No, I'm not, because my question is this. Hey, uh, <laughs> just play play with me here for a second. Hey, for the sake of argument, oh, you guys are trading up to three. And, oh, you just took Anthony Richardson. He's starting week one. Yeah, I, I, right. I, I didn't bring yeah, up yeah. Lamar. Right, I just yeah. want to know if he's starting week one. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> What's the problem? You could have a lot of fun with that, actually. <laughs> now, here is Eric DaCosta. He's talking about... There are more than he's talking about all the the top quarterbacks. His list is is longer than four in the first round here. Jimmy, check this out. I would say there's probably more than four guys that can that can be significant quarterbacks in this league in this draft class. Okay, all right. Now we're talking about first round potentially. Any first round selections used on a quarterback here? GM Eric DaCosta. Depends on the board, Jameson. Really does. I mean, I'd have to say yes because we have. Uh, quarterbacks in our top 31. Okay, depends on the board. Depends on the board over there, but this is when we cut to the chase. This is what really matters. If you look at the Ravens 
and where they are in the the draft, uh, they're 22nd. They have the 22nd overall pick, okay? Um, Do you think that the Ravens are going QB at 21 or any which way? They, they They move up, they move down to the tail end. Ooh, how about this? They move down to the 32nd overall pick, which is the same spot they got Lamar Jackson years ago. In 2017 like, or 2018. How about that? Huh? What if they go 32nd overall by trading down? I mean, that that would be something, and there would be some drama there. Look, there was a reason when you asked earlier in the show who my least interesting potential teams are right now going into the 2023 season. And obviously, I'm simulating a world where Lamar is either not in Baltimore because he sat out or not in Baltimore because they dealt him. Either way, I don't see them taking a quarterback in this year's draft. They have other pressing needs within this roster. If I'm Baltimore and I lose out on this Lamar saga and he's gone, I'm doing all I can to build a young core and hopefully get a quarterback in next year's draft. Well, first things first, I misspoke. It'd be the Ravens moving down to the 31st overall right, because the Dolphins yep. don't have one. Nope. No, no. Uh, uh, what were we calling this? Tampergate? You know, yeah. having Brady on the yacht and all that? Yeah. So it'd be the 31st overall pick. Well, look at it this way. Um, it, the heart of the matter is this. Is this the truth by the Ravens or is this a tactic? I, Jimmy, call me naive. I think this is the truth, right? I, I don't think... Play this out. If this is a tactic, what would the tactic be? That they're in this draft luncheon and they're talking about, hey, Lamar, we might draft a quarterback in the first round. You know, eh, something to think about. Maybe you do want to sign this offer that isn't fully guaranteed to the tune of Deshaun Watson money. I, I don't think that's it. Do you really think that would work on Lamar? I don't at all. So I think they're just truthfully saying, yeah, you know, we've, we've got a handful of quarterbacks rated highly. And it depends how the board falls, what we do. I, I think all of that is actually truthful. You think I'm naive for thinking that? No, I, I don't. I, I don't think there's a ton of tactical positioning done in this particular instance. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly with it because if I'm Lamar, and again, I, I've made my case for how I feel about Strat, how I feel about Young as a as me, as Jimmy Cook. But if I'm Lamar Jackson, <laughs> that's who you're coming in with to threaten me? I'm not worried about that. I, I can take a starting job over any quarterback you want to take in this draft. That's how I'm feeling if I'm Lamar Jackson. So if it is a threat, like that's why I laugh at that concept, Brian, why I agree with you, because it's not much of one, in all honesty. It's not a ton of positioning the Ravens can make up by saying, ah, we might we might go and take Will Levis, or hey, we might take Ed and Hooker, who might yeah. trade up a little bit. Okay, like they're coming for my job, really? Nah, I'm good. Well, I would agree with you, except the one exception, will the thrill last? Yeah, that's why I did. Then, yeah, yeah, then it's a different ballgame right there. But think about this, too. There are, We see tactics all the time where there's another story. So Boomer, uh, not Boomer, uh, Carton does the, Craig Carton, he does a show in New York City, okay? And uh, the guy he does the show with, I was going to say Boomer and Carton, that was the old show. <laughs> but the, the new guy that he does the show with, he's like, Dude, you're being used over here. So Carton had a report. He's got some sources, and he said that, hey, uh, the Packers are interested in potentially trading Aaron Rodgers to the 49ers, okay? So Evan Roberts is the other guy. And Evan Roberts is like, Craig, you're being used. This is just the Packers 
trying to, you know, create some urgency for the Jets to make this move. He's not going to go to the Packers, right? So you do have those stories where those are tactics, where you start floating things out like, hey, uh, hey, hey uh, you know, hey, uh, um, Carton, uh, Packers here. We're thinking about moving him to the 49ers. You know, just put it out there. Like, you know, that does happen. I don't sure. think that is what's happening with the Ravens. No, I don't either. Though. Yeah, I, I don't. Again, I, I don't see a ton of tactical advantage for Baltimore with this process. I think they're just honestly trying to paint where their mind is at with the draft now only uh, three weeks from tonight. So, yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you. Okay, so uh, update on the bets. Lost the first one. Because Vic Hovland had a horrible tee shot on 15. And uh, Xander Shoffley, he got the birdie. Back-to-back birdies. That freaking guy. That's how I lost (laughs) it. Back-to-back birdies on 14 and 15. I had... I know this is straight out of the degenerate gambling handbook here, but I had grouped holes. This is the first time I've ever done this. Probably the last time I'll ever do it. (laughs) You you have grouped holes for the, the pairing, like the trio. What do you call it? With the, the three guys. What's the official? The group? Just the group. Yeah. Okay, so the group, there are the three guys. Tiger, Shoffley, and Hovland. Hovland's leading this thing. He's been nails all day. So the grouped holes, 13 through 15, who ends up winning just those three holes? I'm ahead. I'm ahead one hole in. Then what happens? Shoffley, birdie, birdie. I lose. <laughs> and now we're on 16. I have a grouped bet on 16 through 18. Hovland, his second shot. They're all like, it's a par three, 16. All with nice approach shots. Hobbs, chance for birdie. Errant, not even close. Not even close. <laughs> so he can do only, par is the best he can do here. I'm, I'm pulling for better luck for you. Uh, I, I've oh, not dabbled good. into the group hole market outside of that one I did with Tiger. That was just the first hole. And DraftKings is telling me I won, but I, I, I'm not sure if I really wanted and feel like I did the dead heat. But yeah. hey, what are we going to do? I, I hope you did. I hope you did win that. But I, I'm kind of, I don't know how the scoring actually happens. I'm finding that out, figuring it out. All right, coming up next. Um, Again, let's get to this. Truth or excuses and a bad beat story for the ages. This is a hum freaking dinger. That's on the way. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. This is a terrible question by me, but I can't help but ask it. If someone gave you free tickets to a concert, who are some of the artists that you just wouldn't go see? It's a total hater question here. Just give me one. Give me one. Free show. You know, maybe good seats if it's a seated type concert. Not all of them are. And you're just like, no, no, thank you. Um, man, that's a very tough question. I, I feel like I this is a question now. that goes against your DNA. It you're does. It really very does. Very nice. I you're am. positive. It doesn't. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm, trying wanted, to, I'm trying to tap into your ugly here, side here, over here. Jimmy. Here's the answer, and this is probably the larger ugly side. I'm, I'm not a big concert guy. Like, I've, I've just never really been that guy. Really? I've probably been to, like, three or four concerts Are in my life. Are you serious yeah. in your life? Yeah. Yeah, I'm wow. not. I'm not I, I, lo- I love music, but I've never been, like, a big live show guy. Never been been my thing. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I probably would say no by default unless it was, like, an artist I, I really, really like. Um, 
Yeah, I, I know it's not a good answer. It reveals more about It's a terrible Mike, answer. It's an awful answer. Let, let's go to the two music buffs. Let's go to you and you and Eddie for this. I I I can't I oh. can't contribute because I I don't know. I probably would say no off the bat anyway. We don't Unless have enough time like in this show. And my wife's oh. a big Taylor Swift fan. Which point, yeah, we'll go. Like I'd that, see that. Taylor in a second. Yeah, yeah no problem. I'd be yeah. happy to go yeah. free. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Dave Matthews Band, no thanks. Never. Uh, Fish jam bands, no. Most most country music artists, I would say no to. I'd go I'm to most. I'd go guy. to mo- most co- country okay. shows over here. Okay. Yeah, Eddie, who's on your hater list? Free free concert tickets. You're not going. I'm not really a concert guy either. No. What is with you guys? How are you both not concert people? I'm more of a big like I am. I'm, I'm more live sports than I am live live Agreed. music. I don't know. I, you guys, you got you got to deviate the budget somewhere, Brian, and it, it's going to live sports more for me than it is for uh, for live shows. I got to work on your hater jeans over here. Um, by the way, how about this? <laughs> uh, LeBron James, just a quick mention. LeBron James and the Lakers they lost to the Clippers last night. That was good for you and me, right, Eddie? You got in on the Clippers, didn't you? I did. I got them at Very plus nice. money. Did you get there them at plus go. money? I did, too. I took the, the point and a half. I, did, I chickened out a little bit. I didn't go money line, but I thought point and a half. We're good. Um, but this is LeBron after the game real quickly on the loss. This is one of those, uh, uh, those scheduling conflicts you know, in the season. <laughs> And uh, definitely got the best of us tonight. Yeah, one of those scheduling conflicts. Had a road trip. Second night of a back-to-back. And they lose to the Clippers. I guess they were scheduling conflicts the other 10 times they lost to the Clippers in a row. <laughs> They've lost 11 in a row now. So this is a rare occasion, Jimmy. This is both an excuse and the truth. Okay? They partially did lose because of the scheduling thing. But they've been losing left and right against the Clippers that it wasn't only just the scheduling thing. It's both. And it's, it's an excuse and it's also the truth. Yeah, you don't see those come around very often. I mean, look, if you were to paint a better matchup that you could have with playoff stakes on the line with LA's two teams and that never-ending fight for the city, even though it's, it's, a, it's a Lakers city, it is what it is. But... You have that type of drama and stakes. I'd love for there not to be excuses afterwards, but at the same time, I would also love that matchup over the course of, say, a playoff series rather than I would, or even just a normal Wednesday night with full rest than I would a back-to-back, but is what it is. By the way, is this uh, is this bad form? So again, I've, I've got cash on holes 16 through 18 <laughs> with Hovland, so I'm watching a little closer. Xander Shoffley on 17, he hit a bad tee shot, and it was going to the right. Okay, so that's Shoffley's tee shot. In back of him is Vic Hovland, and he points to the right. Like, he's like, whoa, four, look out, to the right. Like, is that, should that be him doing it? Does it matter? I I don't know what golf etiquette would say on that one. Uh, Without seeing it, I wouldn't be able to speak on it because maybe he was just trying to to be be, be a helpful guy. He's just trying to be helpful, yeah, with with the attendees, the patrons over there. But is that his place to do it? Think about this. It's not the same thing as basketball. But if there's a free throw and the shooter is like, short, okay, that's one thing. If his teammate at the three-point line is like, short, is that what he should be doing? You know? I, I, I liken it more assuming it was done genuinely and not as a jest or an insulting thing. It yeah. is the golf equivalent of of helping somebody from the opposing team I, up. Is it I, really your job I, to do it? No, but maybe it's the right thing to do. I don't know. I'm the yeah. wrong guy to ask that question. I, I'm just saying, some, I think his heart was in the right place. Yeah. But it could land differently. His heart was, hey, 
Uh, golf fans, look out for the ball maybe heading for your head, right? Like, that's what he was really doing. But it could come across as, man, what a sucky shot by Shoffley. Yeah. You know? yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Okay, I got a bad beat story for you here, Jimmy Cook, before we get to your picks. Lay it on me. So, this man named Jimmy Young, lifelong Sacramento Kings fan. He bet on the Kings to win the Pacific Division, okay? Plus 30,000. So it's 300 to 1 odds. Wow. He laid $25. It was a bonus bet, right? He had a bonus bet. So he laid the $25 to win $7,500. Okay? He's going to win over $7,000. But on Bovada, he got a message from one Kevin B. And here's what it says. James, I was checking the account information, and I can see that the wager was placed using bonus funds. However... The bonus expired before the bet was settled, and for this reason, the bet was not paid. Our recommendation for the future is to first check the expiration date of the bonus and place bets within this time. What? Uh, Okay, so a couple things there. That is why you do not, and I repeat, do not, because they are not a legitimate operation. You do not utilize offshore online betting you you don't do it because all they need is a loophole for example if i used a 25 dollar wager that expired tomorrow on an nba futures bet on any sports book that's legally eligible to be utilized there's no problem there it's not dictated by that i placed the wager i've used the bet before it expired it's all good now maybe uh if he is a sacramento fan living in california uh, there's not a lot of options there outside of going to vegas so i i get it um, that's brutal. I, I don't feel as bad because it doesn't surprise me at all that Bovada would weasel their way out of it like that. Now, there is a happy ending. Okay. Here. Update from Jimmy Young. I appreciate this is on Twitter. I appreciate all the support from my uh, from all my sports gambling fans out there. I don't know. Do you think Jimmy Young is just swimming in sports gambling fans? I don't know. I question <laughs> that. But but Bovada has reached out and it looks like this was a customer service error. My wow. bet has been paid in full. Thanks again to all. You know what that really means, Jimmy? He complained on social media. They saw it. It went viral, and they folded. Yep, that's yep. right. The yep. uh, customer service error is Bovada going, oh, shoot. This could cost us business with current people who yep. bet with us and future people who might bet with us. Yep. So let's pay this jackass and get it over with. Right? Like That's what they said. I rescind some of my frustration towards Bovada, but the point remains the same, that you, you run the risk of that possibly happening happening oh, uh, good for good for the public to rally around him and put pressure on them to make it right absolutely but how dirty is that mm, very like, snaky uh, according to this technicality you're a 25 dollar bonus bet it's still not eligible so you don't get 7500 dollars that is low don't like low that. right there yeah um all right let's get to your picks here jay cook let's dive on in the Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. First in the NBA, not a ton that I like tonight. We're getting towards that gray area where is the postseason here yet. So I'm going to go with an emotional bet. The odds aren't great, but we need it for the Pacers and Team Ping. I'm taking the Spurs to win on the money lines. Minus 175 there for the matchup against the Portland Trailblazers this evening. We're going to lay one and a half on the run line on the Los Angeles Dodgers as they're in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. And closing things out, going to take the San Diego Padres plus 140 on the money line tonight against 
against the Atlanta Braves. Two and one yesterday, five and four on the week. Plays on Twitter at the J. Cook. There you go. Anything the, for my review? Or the the or the for you? Uh, the. The? Because the I, I was the for a long time, but with my Twitter handle, it's the because too many people of a wide variety of ages thought I was saying DJ Cook. I don't disc jockey on the <laughs> evenings. I'm not at weddings, so we go with the. So there's no confusion there. Anything well, from you, Edward? Yes, I hate to go against you here, but I had the oh, Atlanta oh, Braves. I went against you yesterday. You and won I that did, one. You I did. did. You did. Dirty I did. dog. You went against me with the Brewers, Eddie. And I that- did. Yeah, you, I know you are I got just a tip a cap to you, but you're fade knowing Jimmy. That's your uh, your I, system. Over here's there. the reason why the Braves have slaughtered lefties within the past couple of seasons. They're going to roll out that same lineup that's going to smash the ball against lefties. Blake Snell has struggled in terms of efficiency, uh, in terms of walks. He has not been typically good. He had one in his last outing. I'd expect two or three today. I'd expect a couple of big hits from either Acuna, Riley, Albies down there at the bottom, Mikael Harris, or Michael Harris as most people call him. And then they have the up-and-coming ace and future Cy Young winner and uh, and Spencer Strider on the mound. Okay. I'll give you two to look for. Okay? Is uh, I don't see anything on DK, DraftKings, uh, for Donovan Mitchell's point total, but he scored 40 points in four out. straight games. Is he out against the Magic? Yeah, they're okay. resting How about Shaden Sharp with the Blazers? His assist total, he's not listed either. I don't know if he's out as well. If he's playing, watch his assist total. There you go. Thanks to watch. Uh, something to listen to. JMV coming up next. Keep it locked right here on The Fan. Have a great day. We'll catch you soon.